Houston, Annapolis, Center. Do you have any test operations in restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Niner. The traffic is approaching head-on. Alter right and really moving. They're right by us right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, what a show we have for you tonight, but let me first introduce the members of the um, posse. As the kids say, on the streets of Paris. Hey, listen, girls, time to sit down, get your misters, get your fans working overtime, the big box of cleanings, and the big box of wipes. We've graduated up to the top because the very famous one one is here. Yeah, you betcha. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good one tonight. I can feel it in my bones. Is that what you can feel? I yeah, really do. Okay. I can feel the vibe. For sure. All right. Yep. Good. Yep. Okay. Uh, we've officially upped. I'm checking the temperature in, in the room, and it's hmm, oops, what was smoking that? hot. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good okay. Um, okay. Uh, so Juan, you're uh, you're dressed kind of conservative tonight. You got the big six foot tongue in back yeah. of you, but yeah, it's dressed down a little bit. I do. Yep. I'm all black today. All black. Okay, that's good. Um, so now that we know that, oh, I was just going to say this is the first time that we've actually bumped it up to the. Extra big box of wipes, okay? For a long time, they were medium size right. and so on. So yeah. I just want to let you know. Well, for a while, they were hard to get. So we, right, exactly. So now, more. right, you know, we've crossed that milestone. Speaking about milestones, up there in the great state of Maine, I don't know what milestones have to do with it, but on a farm, in this compound, formerly his bunker, they know it's Coke on the streets, but we know him as Commander Cobra. Coco, how are you? Great, Mac. Thank you once again. Always a privilege mm -hmm. and on to join the formation. You bet. Welcome, Cobra, to the formation. Thank, thank you for your service, as always. Did I say his introduction right? Coco. They know him as Coco on the streets. We know him as Commander Cobra. Coco. I think yeah. we got it. Okay, we got it the first time? Really nice okay, job. all right. Super. Just checking. Yeah, I, 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 I'll let it go. They know it now without legally contracting when the lawyers get a hold of this. Mm -hmm. No, we. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, his back and forth this weekend on on my announcement, or not really a big announcement, but making you guys aware of the upcoming movie with uh, my buddy Tom Cruise. Oh, boy. The Maverick. Is, yeah. There's other people waiting to be introduced. Uh, Maverick. Yeah, can we, you know, what, let's let's do a little story about. Let's let's just Ooh. introduce everyone else. Let's talk about your buddy. We'll Tom do that Cruise. afterwards. Okay. Oh boy. Our national correspondent up there in the world of donuts, the bowl of flakes, Battle Creek, Michigan, Switchblade Steve Ward, Switch E. It is great to be here tonight. You look good. Hello, Switch. You look good. But listen, hold on a second. Well, thanks. It's a, it's a really the hair. wrong trend of black on yeah, all yeah, of us. No. But uh, he also had his hair looked a little Hitlerish there. Can you move your hair back? <laughs> all he needs is a little <laughs> shoe polish under his nose and he's the Fuhrer. <laughs> See, there you go. Okay, Switch, everything good with you? He looks fine. What's that what in the background? 
is good, except, uh, you know, my, my neo-fascist tendencies that I, <laughs> say, I listen, feel all of a sudden. These things come out as it turns I'm, out. I'm, I'm overcoming them, though. Okay, listen. Do you, do you, have, a, do you have a need to uh, do watercolors or oils right now? <laughs> <laughs> of buildings? <laughs> he couldn't. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to. He not couldn't draw people. I'll tell you, if, if he could only have drawn people, none of it would have happened. But he was refused entry into the Art Institute of <laughs> Vienna because he couldn't draw people and... That's when the bad part of the story See, began. I can I can draw people, but just not terribly well. Oh well, I guess that was his problem too. But anyway, let's move on. All right, this is definitely Beauties and the Beast. I mean, no, wait, Beast and the Beauty. No, Beauty and the Beast tonight because joining us from Las Vegas, uh, where it's nice and balmy. Ella the Psychic. Hello, Ella. Hello, Mac. Hello, boys. Hello, Hello Ella. Nice Hi, Ella. Hello, Ella. As always, a pleasure to see. You. Boys, hello, boys! Wow, wow! Yeah. We got to be a TV show because uh, Oliver is kind of—I uh, don't want to use the word sprawled on your bed, but you're you're, you're on your bed, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Well, I don't really have a desk, so this is my desk. Hey, no problem that with that. She yeah, looks desk. comfortable in it too. It looks right. like a, it's a sitting bed, I guess. Yeah, it's, yeah. Let's call it that. If not you like want. she's laying down, you know, but, right, fall off. No, you never yeah. know what's going to happen. <laughs> Looks good. It's just the beginning of the show. Thank you. Uh, Ella, thanks for joining us tonight uh, from Bami, Las Vegas, uh, 60s. In the 60s or so, people seem to like it. I don't know why, but it's better than that 120 that happens up there sometimes. Right? right. Yeah, I like this time of year hmm. in Las Vegas. Yeah. The weather's from, nice. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So listen, let's go back to um, switching. Okay. Once again, the skew for the show, the show that most people listen to. The point that most people listen to in the two-hour show is, what did Switch have for breakfast? And, you know, if you could just see the uh, the look of excitement, <laughs> joy on his face yes. when this question this is directed to him. Know it warms the cockles of your heart Wait. after a nor'easter in New England. I think cockles <laughs> You don't want to overwhelm your cockles, though. Once you again, <laughs> cockles secret At this word. point, doesn't matter anymore, Switch. Doesn't matter anymore. Okay, a little so <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> If you want to de deep dive into what's going on with the cocoa. It looks like he's drinking apple juice. Is that apple juice there, Cocoa, by any chance? It looked... No, this is a wheat product from Ireland. Oh, okay. Okay. Good for you. Wheat is good mm, for you. Okay. Let's get back to the the Fiora. I mean, switchy. Let's, so um, what did you have today for breakfast? Let's just get right to it. I get a feeling it's going to be a letdown. That's the vibe. I don't, I don't see anything exciting, but prove me wrong. Please switch. Well, you know, I can't, uh, I'm not a gourmet cook and I don't uh, go to restaurants all the time. I mean, it can't be something, you know, new. I mean, it's not like I'm in my own production studio that uh -oh. uh, that creates different meals for, for one's entertainment. But it, it was it was okay. I had uh, uh, two scrambled eggs. Okay. Added some shredded cheese. No, no green pepper this time. Uh -oh. And I had no bacon. So I had some, uh, I had some leftover uh, corned beef hash and I heated <laughs> that up and uh, I had it with hot black coffee. Good. And it was uh, pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good meal. Okay. Sounds fabulous. Toast? Toast? It sounds healthy. Do you have toast? Americano. Uh, yes, I have one piece of toast. One piece of toast, trying to keep yep. it healthy. Yeah, okay. What type of bread? What type of bread? bread? White bread. That uh, was a Sara Lee wheat or something like that. Wheat? Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it wasn't white, wasn't white bread. It wasn't... Uh, wasn't that white wonder bread that uh, allegedly built bodies, strong bodies, 12 ways? Well, but, uh, you know, <laughs> allegedly, I'd say. Yes. Yeah, what were the top 10 ways? I don't know. 12 was overreaching, frankly, for that I don't stuff. think my mother ever knew that, but that's what we used to use. Wonder so bread you used to say, yeah. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So anyway. Well. Amazing to watch the film on how they would whip that 
up. Yeah. So, uh, how they would fuse the air in it too. Uh, to make those yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I know. I know. But hey, everyone and, ate it, and we're and still it, here. It's enriched too. The, yeah, the, enriched. the loaves were enriched. Yeah. What they were enriched with uh, was anybody's guess, but I uh, believe it was a magic wand. Anyway. Yeah. Speaking of. It kept uh, us healthy. It looks like that. Sometimes my mother would cut off the crust. Oh, really? I don't know why? Wow. Wow. You know, that's I, entitled. How amazing to know yeah. that you would not eat the crust. Wow, I know. I, I never, like, I like it, the crust. Okay, no, you so kidding? you say. So you say. I don't know why she cut it off. Sometimes. To punish you, you must have done something wrong. Maybe she saw that on TV. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, Ella you know, is she uh, still there? Okay, Ella's on her bed, but I'm afraid she's going to fall asleep or something. Boy. <laughs> Ella, what did you have for breakfast today? Yeah, let's please. Yeah. What did I have Yes, breakfast? please say oh, a scotch and coke or something. Actually, I didn't have breakfast. I had lunch. What'd you have for lunch? So, a chimichanga. Oh, yeah. I could go for that and a margarita. And Wait a minute. What go. is that? I've heard of it. What is it? Everything packed into it's, a tube. It's kind of like a burrito, but I think it's fried or something. I don't know. Yeah, okay. and it's big. It's, it's yeah, packed. Yeah, it's packed, packed, with all packed with stuff. Yeah, they're good. So, good. so anyway, well, listen, we're going to we have an interesting show tonight because tonight is a, the show of lists. Okay, we have four different lists that we're going to go over, top ten lists of uh, different uh, topics. And uh, and before we go to the commercial break, however, uh, Switch has brought something. The elephant in the room is this huge picture of Tom Cruise looking over Switch's <laughs> shoulder. Now, first of all, first of all, the horror begins here with this. Uh, our good friend Raven told us a few weeks ago that if you really look at Tom Cruise, his teeth don't line up, and it's true. And it's one of those things that you once you see it, you don't. You know, he has a, a big tooth kind of in the middle of his face. Yeah, it's really weird. But anyway, <laughs> he can't act. He's not a good actor. I don't like him. He doesn't have to act. He just have to run well, a lot. Well, see, he's a movie star. You're right. In a way, he doesn't have to act, but he tries to act, and. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But anyway, go ahead, Juan. Juan, you, you, you tell us all about Little Tommy and the new movie that's coming out. Well, you know, as you know, Tom, Tom Cruise is a Top Gun, and uh, I think that anybody who watches this movie, or even watched the original Top Gun, the next day they went up to their recruiter and they said, "Sign me up because I'm going to do what he does." And I think that's all part of uh, why Recruitment. the Navy, I think, uh, donates a lot of dough to the, the film. I, I don't know if they donate it. Cobra, but go ahead. They do. It's not really a donation, uh, one one. It's uh, a fund project. The project gets approved. Yeah. And yep. The Department of Defense and the Department of Navy say, "Yep, they'll support it." But it's usually, you know, some kind of a nominal limit that they'll put up against it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they'll assign units to it. And uh, as I told you, some of the coolest cats uh, wearing uniforms are the Hollywood liaison guys. That's their. That's their, these guys right. and gals. That's their job. They're. Yep. Uh, they're in the respective your services. Freaking, they. Uh, your movie. They're very funny. Uh, uh, they 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 get scripts all the time mm. looking for support. And sometimes they want other support. You know, uh, a flyby scene. You know, yeah. to, in a movie that doesn't maybe have a military theme to it. Yes. Or, you know, they want to have a rescue scene and they want to use a helicopter or boats and stuff. Hey, mm-hmm. listen. Uh, but so they what, uh, they okay. look at it. They weigh the script, and then if they don't like the script, maybe if the script will say something that uh, uh, doesn't really hold really great light, then that's when you usually see the really crappy. Uh, special effects trying to put the military yes. airplane or the military ship in there because the military didn't want to support that project. Yeah. Either the script was bad or it was something that was really quite uh, not flattering. Right. Or some kind of stock it. footage that was uh, also crappy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's, um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> let's just go back to Tom so anyway, Cruise. It's, it's exciting that uh, you know, Maverick is back. And my first question was, if I was uh, uh, at the the opening screening, you know, the grand opening. Yes. Which is what, July 3rd or something? Let's see. Conveniently just before the 4th. Go ahead. Uh, 
Who's the uh, who is the Kelly McGillis equivalent in this movie? Wow. It's uh, Jennifer. Uh, I looked at the yeah. I looked at the Internet Movie Database. I saw um, I saw a character named Phoenix. I think she's a pilot. Yeah, probably sounds good. Yep. Mm-hmm. I believe that's correct. Jennifer yeah. Conley is in the movie. And uh, Jennifer Conley. Jennifer Conley is in it. Nice. You know, she might be the Kelly McGillis equivalent. You know the. The instructor that uh, we could do a whole show on what happened doesn't in the sing real. any BS. It doesn't tolerate any BS. Kelly like, McGillis. Yeah, I think what, what no, I never saw the first one. Yeah. You never saw the first one? No. Wow. Yeah. Oh, he's a submariner. Oh, uh, that's they, right. They take yes. an oath uh, not to uh, see Top Gun to go into the silent service. That's that's that run silent, run deep. You know, Life Station Zebra, um, Operation Petticoat. Uh, Operation Petticoat. That's funny. Up. Yeah. Oh, so, so yep. should we should we wreck a one one's good feeling talent to retell the story. Obviously, he doesn't remember about what happened when Tom Cruise landed on the I think it was the Abraham Lincoln where they shot a lot of this latest movie. What happened? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to. You know, kill your puppy there, my friend. Do you want? <laughs> can you take it? I could take it, but he was awesome. What are you talking about? Okay, so when he landed, it, it had to be two summers ago now when they were filming this. He was on the Abraham Lincoln. Now first, Mac, are you sure about this? This isn't just something. Right. I'll, I'll tell you exactly. Gossip. Gets, I'll tell you exactly. Where he gets his uh, from the National Tatler or something. No, no. I think this one of his nice friends result. was running dailies for the movie or something. Let me. I let me. He's you tell a, me. I'll tell connection. you the story I heard, and you tell me whether you think it's on the level. Okay. Okay. Right. okay so, I believe it's the Abraham Lincoln, and I think they say they're out there for six weeks. Man, that's a long time. You know, long time. But anyway, <clears throat> he lands on the boat, and they kind of fake like he flew the plane, and this freaking nonsense. But before he arrives, his gophers, uh, you know, land on the ship and they go, don't look Tom straight in the eye. Don't approach Tom. Don't have any kind of conversation with him. If you pass him in the corridors, the, you know, passages are tight on ships. Don't look him in the eye. Let him go by. All this stuff, okay? And so what happened, and this is why I tend to believe it, it uh, hearing stuff about him before, but also – all of a sudden, and this is what these people don't understand, the Twitter universe, or at least the Twitter universe on the USS Abraham Lincoln, boom, burns up. This is what they told us. This is what they said. This is, instead of, and I said it before, all Tom Cruise had to do, land like an ordinary person, go to the chow with these people. How you doing? Sorry to interfere. Thanks for putting up with us. Come to see the movie. We'll pay you a ticket. Boom. And everyone loves him. Then the Twitter universe would have been, he's a great guy. But they don't, you know what I mean? That They don't have that sensibility is what I think. Coco, do you want to weigh in on that? You hate them too, right? I don't. I've heard the same thing that you heard, Mac. I don't know the validity of it. I do know that Tom Cruise invokes a lot of uh, disparaging uh, comments and energy. He's not like for his religion. He's not like for some of his success. Hmm. And like many big time movie stars, as you said before, you know, he has certain things that he will not allow. I mean, I remember reading something someplace about he will only be the one in a running scene for some reason that, you know, he won't have other people running along with him. Or well, I don't know. You know, and, and I've heard, I've heard what? crazy stuff what? all along uh, the way, the little bit that I know of many people in movies, you know, on that. And some that I've met in the past were extremely um, cool characters. Hmm. Uh, uh, no ego Vigo, uh, Vigo uh, Myerton. Oh yeah. No ego Vigo. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very, very nice man. Yes. Would, I mean, you would not know unless you bumped up against him and, and realized that he is in, in, in he's done movies and I thought some really good stuff. Yeah. He kind of disappears into some of his roles. Yeah. Lot of the Rings. Yeah. Well, The Road. He was unbelievable in The Road. I mean, yeah, that was very a few people yeah. could have pulled off that book and very few people could have pulled off that screenplay. 
listening to Mac Mahoney's back movie to Mr. Cruz, Go ahead. Um, I think it should be a fun uh, go and uh, started this conversation with this weekend. We had our, uh, as, as Asian X likes to say, our frat boy emails flying back and forth. Oh, really? And uh, X always loves to be part of that. And uh, he, uh, he and I were speaking earlier today and uh, <laughs> he made some remark about the emails and the activity. Yeah. I, just to make it clear, the Department of Defense, uh, in this case, the Navy, uh, is looking to a uh, to a, a sizable positive impact to mm-hmm. recruiting yeah, recruiting or yeah. what people will see in this movie right. and um, the fact that they're going to include drones uh, in this that it's going to be feature yeah. that it's going to have some really high end Mac Maloney military tech yes. and aircraft there on the, sale everywhere high end aircraft that's involved in this is uh, is going to be fun I think it would be good entertainment yeah I, mean, I really like the first top the gun. first one was, was all right movie. yeah. Yep. It was. Um, it, it had a lot of uh, it had a lot of really uh, cool flying, uh, unique inside part. And I know a lot of people now. Some of them were guests on my previous um, on my old show. Yes, that were in Top Gun when they were using Top Gun facility for the for the filming. So yeah, pretty good good stuff. Uh, hey Ella, before I never really heard anything negative. No, I mean the thing about the it came out in '86 and it was kind of weird, but it was like the end of the Vietnam hangover because there was no nothing happening in like the entertainment world or anything war wise for like you know ten years after Vietnam because people had had it, and then all of a sudden jet fighters are sexy because Tom Cruise is flying one, and you also have Tom Clancy come out with his books and things turn around and, and things change. You know, people luckily are into the military again because I'd be. Uh, you know, plowing. Well, the big change was Reagan. I mean, if you're going to bring up about that time period, Reagan and Reagan's change on how uh, the military was going to be uh, Top uh, used, funded, was a big part. Let's go to the the Iran hostage crisis too. Right. Turned people uh, I also around s- to be more patriotic. Right. Too. Right. How they were just so uh, uncoordinated and that whole thing. And I saw today that they're going to take the, the they're going to recycle the Nimitz. They're going to literally just recycle the USS Nimitz. It's going to take them 15 years to go through it, take out parts that might be used on other aircraft carriers, and then just take it apart. 15 years to to deconstruct the. the uh, I was USS on the Nimitz, Nimitz great ship. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's what everyone says. It's going to be like tears when it happens. But anyway, let's get to some very more important question. Ella, Tom yes. Cruise, Tom Cruise, yes and no from a woman's point of view. Please tell us. No. No, no, see, one, one. No. no, I'm shocked. I'm not. No, I've never been attracted to him. See, He's a lot of women. And, oh, very short. He definitely is short. Yeah, got that yeah. tooth. Got the tooth. Yeah, I've never noticed the teeth. No, you will now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can't unsee it, right? And he was well, married. You're in company with Mrs. Cobra. She kills the same way. That, yeah, I don't know. I don't know any women who like Tom Cruise, frankly. Well, I, I, you know, he was actually very good, strangely enough, in the Jack Reacher films, even though oh, physically really, yeah. he did not fit the, the I character. thought he did a good job, but you're right. He is not a matchup to no. the physical description of uh, – Right, and Mission Impossible. Well, I, the, I, have a, of, I have a story about that if you want to hear it. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So they pick – now, Jack, Jack Reacher is like over – he's about six feet tall. He's muscular, blonde, and everything. Wow. And it's a series of stories written by uh, Lee Child. Uh, and uh, they're now uh, being taken over by his brother for the footnote. Right, okay. right. And uh, some of them are very good, and I, I think they're kind of hit and miss, but that's just my opinion. But some are very good. So the character uh, they decide Tom Cruise is going to play him, mm. and then you know you can't you can't find someone that's more unlike that character. Yes, yes. So 
uh, I went, I went to I, I, uh, one of my uh, favorite authors is Steve Hamilton, who writes the Alex McKnight series, Private Eye Up in, in Paradise, Michigan. Okay. Okay. So he and Lee Child, there are a bunch of authors as you as you know sometimes, Mac. They congregate at these places promoting their books and so forth. And he knew not me. Everybody, somebody was going to ask Lee Child what he thought about. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise playing the role. So he wasn't going to do it. He just followed everybody in the bar and waited until somebody asked him. So Lee Child said that uh, he would rather have somebody that represents the character of Jack Reacher uh, and does a good job, even though he may not physically look like him. He was very diplomatic about it. But actually, when I I saw the the first film and uh, was a fan of the series, I thought, well, you know what? They pulled off a good Jack Reacher. Yeah, novel, interesting. And yeah. Cruz okay. did a good job. Well, he was good in Minority Report. It's like one of the best, one of the best sci-fi movies ever. Steven Spielberg directs he's, it. He's good in a bunch of movies. Tom like Cruise is in it, and it's like, wow, you know, that's it. Runs a lot in those movies. Oh yeah, Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. What about Rain Man's brother? Yeah. Well, anybody who could work with Dustin Hoffman, who I hear is a demanding that was good. Uh, actor, I thought they actually paired up very well. Right, man. In that yeah. Movie. yeah, that was an interesting. They, they, they built a chemistry that you really thought that they were brothers, and you know he 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 played pretty well self absorbed guy, and you know he's got to take on this thing. So I thought he did a pretty right. better yeah, than yeah, fair yeah, job there. Yeah. How is he married to Nicole Kidman, though? <laughs> well, he's not. I mean, he was though, correct? He was. Wow, yeah. I didn't dream that. Phew, figure that out. But anyway. Yeah. Well, those two and eyes wide shut. That's, oh, that's oh. one of the great ones you're going to have to explain. That's like the end of movies. Degree in film studies to completely explain that, that, that that's, movie, that film. There's yeah. a scene. The only I thing. I had to watch that movie by myself. Uh, Mrs. Wan won. Good idea. Too. There's a scene in that. <laughs> that with me? Eyes wide shut. Really yeah. yeah. Correct. I'll, have you what, seen what really eyes happened? Shut? What really happened? Go Switch. ahead. Come on. Fill us in. Well, I'm just going to say what probably happened was that the monolith from 2001. Somebody left it on and didn't turn it off. Didn't turn it off. And that somehow overheated. produced Eyes Wide Shut. It's a scene in Eyes Wide Shut, okay? Now, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, they're married in real life, but they're also married in the movie, okay? Hold on a second. Ella, did you see the movie? Did you see, did you see Eyes I, Wide Shut? I, it's been a long time. I don't okay. really remember yeah, it yeah. Well. Yeah, Nicole Kidman is about two and a half feet taller than Tom Cruise, but that's immaterial, okay? <laughs> Tom Cruise is a doctor in the movie, but you can't. You, you can't imagine him as a doctor. So I think that someone counted this 53 times in the movie where he goes, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. Okay? <laughs> if you're not convinced by the end of the movie. They re- because Stanley Kubrick doesn't like, didn't like to fly. He's passed away now. They recreated Greenwich Village on the, Temple, on the uh, Templeton Studios in London with unbelievable wow. effects. Okay, <clears throat> But That's when cool. you watch the movie – and, and we've talked about this many, many times. The movie makes no sense. There's, it makes zero sense. It makes zero sense because it's like all these trail, uh, these trials of Tom Cruise, and he's lost in the city, and you know he can't get home, and he's getting get in a freaking cab and go home. Number one, okay, it's not you know you're not Ulysses lost out somewhere, and. And, make, and at the end, where you just say, what? And they go to this weird party, and it's supposed to be swingers, and, and everyone has a mask on, yet people know who they are. I mean, there's a scene in it where everyone has a mask on, and people come right up to Tom Cruise, and they go, what are you doing here? You know, how do they know? <laughs> Out of a thousand people with masks on, that he's it, it's just stupid. It's a stupid, long, long movie. But there's a scene in it where they both get stoned. They both get high. Yeah, and I would sure. say to anyone, you know, uh, pre-Cana, before you get married in the Catholic Church, you have to go through pre-Cana, you have to talk to a priest. Well, I think they should show you this scene <laughs> because everything that can go wrong, if you get stoned with your wife, goes wrong in that scene. I think he just left the cameras on because she's, oh, oh, it's like a nightmare. 
And anyway, other than that, really crappy movie. I, I have to say one of my favorite roles for Mr. Cruz that could bring us to back to center Hopefully. was Vanilla Sky. Oh, um, very interesting man. sci-fi adaption. I thought it, did, that it was a good Okay. I enjoyed it. All right, listen. Can I just tell you one little inside chubby story and then we get to go? Wh- who's the name of the, of the woman who played in that with him? It was like her last name was Cruz as well, but it was spelled differently. Penelope. Penelope oh, Cruz. Penelope Cruz. Okay. okay. Somewhere, whatever yeah, agency. Spelled the uh, Spanish way. Okay. Whatever agency they were with, what happens is, is that they like to have cute pairings of, you know, guy stars and girl stars. And someone literally said, let's have both of their names be Cruz. Tom Cruz, Penelope Cruz. That's how Vanilla Sky got made. How about that movie where he plays a soldier? Wait a minute. They... Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the P.I. Because Tom isn't into women like, let's say we are. But there was a there was a <laughs> there was a sci-fi movie that he filmed up in Iceland because he went up there and that's where his other his other wife kind of you know took the train out of town. But it's supposed to be a really good movie. It's, it's like about a secret a super soldier. He gets shot, but he comes back to life. And, you know, soldiers come back to life on the battlefield or something. Have you ever heard of that, Koki? Sure, like that happens all the time. You think they're dead, and then all of a sudden. Uh... Adrenaline kicks in. Really? You see a lot of that down in Newport? Oh, down at the Charleston, maybe. The Wild Streets of Newport? The Wild Streets of Newport, yes. <laughs> I, was just, I was just hoping that my car starts. So I, can get I just, I, I don't think we should be making fun because one wants to spend a lot of time in the combat zone. So let's, uh, That's right. Let's move it along. Eating hey, pizza. can I throw one last yes, uh, please. Uh, admin item in there, Mac? Ella has no and idea what's happening. It's my uh, son's birthday, the night that oh, we're yeah. taking my son's birthday. 29 Good years old. Wow. wow. Now he's still in the Coast Guard, right? 29. Yeah, 29? congratulations. He's another. He's another room. Uh, Squid. Thank you, oh, um, thank, thank you, sweetheart. That's wonderful. But that's the miracle of a uh, really cheap computer camera that makes me look like I'm anything. <laughs> uh, you look really good. Thank you. Thank you very if much. Coco's 29. How old are we? We must. It's the camera that made me look fascist <laughs> earlier. So the camera made him look fascist. <laughs> that's yeah. right. <laughs> it's got that that fascist uh, really? you know lens on it. Right. Okay. So listen. Anyway. Why don't we take a commercial break now, and we'll get back to this is the show of lists here on Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show. And uh, the whole gang is here, and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. It's our show of lists. Uh, with us tonight, girls, I hope you've already un- unpacked your gear. Very famous one Maloney is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Hello, everybody that's listening to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, on all ships at sea, welcome to the Mac Maloney's Military X-File show. You will love it. You will be impressed. You will be fascinated. You will be amazed hmm. at how awesome the show is. Right, Mac? Um, I can't disagree with you. Thank you, one up okay. there in uh, it's great it's fun too the great state of maine in his compound commander cobra cc how are you doing tonight as always mac a absolute privilege and honor to be part of the great formation of mac military experts thank you coco up there in um, wow in uh battle creek michigan i'm just saying wow because he has an interesting graphic behind him a national correspondent switchblade steve ward switch it is great to be here, and I am uh, beyond wonderful tonight. Okay. I'm going to tell you what that is behind you. It's a, it's called an, an electroplane, right? 
uh, I don't know. I just grabbed some weird images of strange planes for the background. Uh, that is are... an in-ground in, in effect airplane. Yeah. How do you say the Caspian that? monster? Yeah, the Caspian Sea monster. It's basically a flying battleship, but another show. Um, really? Sweetening up oh. our show. Sweetening up our formula. And she just took a swig of something, man. I think it was wine. But um, laying on her bed with rose-petaled pillows and blankets is our favorite redhead west of the Mississippi, Ella the Psychic. Ella, how are you? Hello, so hello. Welcome to the show. Mm. Thank you, Alan. Mm. You're welcome. We it's, say you're sp- it's my pleasure to be here. Really? Should we say you're sprawled on the bed? Is that What's the right verb? What's the verb? Um, reclined. Um, reclined. She's reclined, reclined like Cleopatra upon, right. upon her. Upon her. Okay. All right. She's just... luxuriously lounging on the... Lounging. Uh, lounging. Yeah. All right. I was criticized I'm last lounging. time because I said splayed, but that is yeah. not the problem. <laughs> and she's living in Las Vegas, which uh, this Vegas. week a major sporting event will be occurring. Okay, but we're, we're a timeless and, show. Uh, so he's the talking, money is flowing. He's talking about the sporting city. event. Is that the ping pong championships? The ping uh, pong championships. So listen, this is the this <laughs> is the big money sh- in ping pong. No, show, don't be fooled. Right, take the ping, not the pong. <laughs> That's we're what Trick my bookie That's told more me. Interesting. There we go. Yeah, well, you know, we're a timeless well, show. Well, to some so. people. Yeah. I'd rather ping pong myself. All right. That's the other Tom. That's, That's the other Tom. I like. We talked so about Tom Cruise thing. and Tom Brady is my other Tom. He sends me. And I have a third Tom, by the way. Oh, Let's you tell do. You about the third Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. Go ahead. What? Uh, Tom's of Maine toothpaste is my third Tom that uh, I completely wow. adore. <laughs> if you get paid for that, there, brother, we have to split it. No, Listen. I just, I just. Fulgate owns uh, Tom's of Maine now. So they do. Sure. For a long, for a long time, it's been sold. I didn't know that. Yes. Actually, I know Tom. You know Tom. Do you? Very closely, but I do. I bet he's a great guy because he does put a lot of uh, time and effort in. He's uh, a rich guy of Colgate owned it, so he must be a great guy as well. So Sold we'll... off to the conglomerate, huh? Hmm. Wow, how dare he? He's like uh, what Ben and Jerry's did. What did they do? They ben, sold off to the conglomerate. Ben sold to Jerry? Yeah, okay. Did they really? Yeah. Is those what they... hey, listen, uh, I forget the name of the Let me tell you something about Ben and Jerry, okay? I was in your little adopted town of Newport once. And we're walking around yes. down the docks down there. You know, the it's an extensive kind of wafts and piers and stuff. And we're and doing the, the mansion, the mansion. I did walk the mansion and thing, there. and then I went down looking for a bar. So there's a Ben and Jerry's out of the middle of nowhere. We go in there; it's packed, and they give you know when you um, like if you're at a doctor's office and they put two little pills in a little plastic cup. It's not even it's one of those little. Yeah, little, yeah, little, those little tiny cups. Yeah, like a like a little it's bit. It's a sample cup. A sample yeah. cup. Yeah. Okay, that was four and a half bucks. <laughs> ben and Jerry. If you did it up in in Vermont, it was free, but you had to wait for two hours to get your. Oh, there you go. Cup. I'd rather pay the money. So anyway, Ben and Jerry's. Okay, I, I love Ben, but I hate Jerry. So look at. So what we're going to do is this is the um, show of uh, lists, and we're going to go. Coco has uh, put together a list of weird airplanes. Too weird to make it World War One. Is that right, Coco? Is that how you? Would World, say? War II, World, World War Two test airplanes. World War Two test airplanes. Okay, so Ella has the list. So why don't we go to Ella, please? Uh, top 10 weird airplanes. Too weird to make it into World War II. Experimental airplanes, please. World War II. Number 10, please. Ella. Volte XP-54 Swoosh Goose. The Swoosh Goose twin boom airplane uh, was not extremely fast, although uh, it only could do about 380 miles per hour. It had a very unique feature. Its nose uh, would, uh, would uh, pivot cranked down so that uh, they could do strafing attacks from a level flight out mm-hmm. attitude. Um, 
but the uh, the War Department just uh, did not like this airplane, mm-hmm. and uh, it went nowhere. To me, not a bad-looking design, and uh, it had uh, two 37-millimeter cannons, which was a big deal in those That's days for, for chewing up the ground targets. That's big, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, uh, it, and it got its name, the Swiss Goose, from some popular song of the time period. Really? For what it's worth, the Swiss Goose. Wow, okay, yeah, odd-looking nice. airplane. Number nine, please, Ella. Number nine, Lip-ish P-13A, Das Kohlflieger. Wow, Das Kohlflieger. Yeah. See, you know, not, it's a good thing that we have uh, the in-house uh, Deutsch kind of look going on with the show tonight with Ella with her blonde hair and uh, Dye Führer uh, in, uh, in residence with a, Russian, with a Russian airplane behind it. Jawohl, mein Führer. She's this a, airplane she's a looks Braun. like something that you would make uh, like a paper airplane. It's, it's a, it was an amazing design. Yeah, funny. Yep. Um, it had a really high tail that the pilot would sit in. But the interesting thing about this airplane, although it was a rocket-style airplane, it ran on coal, and uh, they could never quite get this thing to work out. This was the I Germans. Wonder, I wonder why. Was trying to build this uh, towards the middle to the end of the war, and they didn't have uh, access to uh, to a lot of petroleum. Uh, so that they, uh, they what they were fighting up against was uh, using what they had available, which was coal. coal. And they never really quite got this one into the air. It's Man. a very interesting looking airplane. <clears throat> very funny airplane. Yes, right. Funny like uh, springtime for Hitler. Fun. There you go. Nothing's funnier than that. Please, number eight, please. Ella, uh, w- airplanes so weird they couldn't make it into World War II, has it? Right? Number eight, XP-55 Ascender. Yes, Now, this is a, a favorite of mine. Curtis Wright, uh, two of the uh, the fabled uh, uh, early uh, starts in aviation in the United States. Their companies had uh, joined together. This was a pusher-type airplane, swept wing. Um, it had uh, its cannons in the back. and 50 caliber machine guns nestled in the nose. It uh, it looks like it should have gone very fast. It just did not seem to ever quite get to where it needed to be. Funny. And uh, it's uh, it just wasn't well received. I think partially because I just think it was so different and so far out of the standard of what uh, many airplanes of that era looked like. Yeah, right. But it, it had a very unique look to it. And as I've shared with Mac uh, offline, um, looks very similar to the airplane that I have, uh, right. Velocity. And uh, I think that some of the flight characters are probably very, very similar to it. So what this is, is one of my favorites, though. I really like the Ascender. I mm-hmm. kind of like that really unconventional look and that really sweet one. So what do, you get, what do you get technology-wise out of having the uh, a push a propeller is the propeller is in the back, right? Yeah, well, but, a very successful airplane from Britain in World War I had it in the back, and it made it easy to shoot the machine guns. So that's one of the things that they were really concerned about, that you didn't have to sink it through a propeller. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you would get better uh, performance out of it. When the engine is in the back, there is less drag and less interference with the rest of the fuselage of the airplane. So you get some benefits there. So there's there are some uh, unique aspects to it. And also it has some interesting weight uh, and balance because the heavier portion now, which the engine tends to be, allows you to do things like sweep the wings, put the pilot further in front there on the right. wings, like on the ascender. Yeah, yeah. Give some uh, some capabilities. Remember, you can sweep the wings forward, too. The Germans tried that. Uh, one of the problems with sweeping wings forward before the uh, the advent of uh, computer technology on board to help you control the airplane, they're unstable. Mm-hmm. So the faster you go, uh, the wings start to uh, to move. They'll start to wiggle around so you get no fatigue. What the Germans were doing during World War II 
is they just kept making the wings stronger and stronger, which added weight and didn't help them get what they wanted. Right, but right. sweeping a wing forward or aft gives you greater speed at cruise. That's Funny. what they were after. Yeah, it's very interesting. The aerodynamic uh, mathematics involved in something like that is really crazy. Um, so, Ellen, let me ask you something off the topic. You can see me, right? What would you do with my beard? Yes. Would you trim my beard? Do you think I should trim my beard or you think I should grow it longer? No, it looks nice. You sure? I, I like it. I hate it, man. Yeah, I you should grow it a little longer. You grow hate it, long? it. Yeah, I hate my beard. Yes, I do. Or, okay, how about like a little goatee and just uh, like shave the sides? I did that and my wife didn't recognize me. <laughs> so I took that as a bad sign. <laughs> Okay. And shaving the mustache to just like no 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 I did, actually I did that once and and she was uh, you know she said just grow it back so I'll know you know who you are so anyway okay why don't we uh, uh, take the next um, uh, weird airplanes in top ten list of weird airplanes too weird to make it into World War Two please Ella number seven Miles M thirty nine Libel Lula the Libel Lula British airplane I think one of the I'm surprised this airplane didn't make it big time because the Brits weren't afraid to, uh, to do the kind of work. And I don't know why this airplane was, I mean, it's very unconventional for the time, uh, the way it looks, but this was a 400 mile per hour airplane, 2000 pound payload, 1500 miles, three man crew. And it, it was very impressive. Everyone that's, uh, that saw it fly, uh, was said it, it handled well, it had all the stuff. But the RAF said, no, thank you. And they didn't go forward. But this is another little swept wing uh, with a canard up front, much like the Ascender. But this had a conventional nesting of two engines attached to things in a sweep configuration. I think uh, they missed a good one in this, this particular airplane. Right, yeah. But as we said before, you know, sometimes there's this rule of thumb, if you want to call it that, is if it looks good, it flies good. And a lot of these airplanes just looked odd, you know. I mean, even now they would look odd, if you know what I mean. So, okay, next uh, next in the top 10 of uh, weird airplanes. Okay. Too weird to make it into World War II. Please, Ella. Number six, PF-82 Twin Mustang. The Twin Mustang. The P-slash-F-82 Twin Mustang was literally two Mustang fuselages added together with a center section wing that was that joined the two, and then they put an elevator that connected the two uh, tail fuselages together. Mm -hmm. It was an extremely successful airplane. It was put together because they just did not have the uh, the jet technology quite right. ready to go. They wanted speed. They wanted range. End of World War II. And uh, a couple of unique things about this airplane. Both cockpits could control the, uh, the entire aircraft. Mm -hmm. It flew with two pilots uh, nominally uh, as a normal configuration. Never made it into World War II. Um, it did have the capability to fly from Hawaii to Manhattan without refueling. That's the kind of uh, range this airplane had with the tanks and what it carried. Mm -hmm. Pretty impressive uh, airplane. If you saw two, P um, if you saw two Germans, P-51 Mustangs uh, literally put together. The Germans experimented. Literally put together. That's what it looked like. Okay, And and like you said, it, it, yeah, had, it is. It's two P-51s side by side with a, uh, with a slab wing. wing in the center. And the wing had tons of fuel in it. And, and the strange thing, they use it in the Korean War, but as they said, it would, it would be two pilots. And then basically what it was was we needed something that would fly over the vast range of the Pacific, something that had the fuel capacity, but not with just one pilot, okay? So because it would be too taxing on him. So they put two Mustangs together. It looks odd. You look at a picture of it and you say, this has got to be a joke. But as Coco said, it was very successful. I mean, it wasn't around for a long time, but... It, what it did, it did it. There a really lot of well. interesting reconnaissance work. It's uh, featured in one of uh, Max's books, uh, the F eighty two. Oh yeah, uh, makes uh, an appearance in one of his what books. Was it? And the Germans tried the similar thing with the F one hundred nine Z. 
The Messerschmitt, yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, people, they come up with gadgets. That's what's cool about airplanes in a way. Now, please, uh, Ella, a top 10 weird airplanes. So weird they couldn't make it into World War II, please. Number five, Beckham BA-349 Natter. This, to me, is one of the most overlooked airplanes of World War II. Could have been a game changer if the Germans were able to spend just a little bit more time on it. Uh, or if they had a little more time to do it. They were running out of resources. The bomber streams were taking their toll on Germany. They came up with a plywood, nearly supersonic airplane. It was wood construction. It did not have landing gear. The pilot uh, would climb inside the airplane. It would be raised into a vertical uh, mode, fired off as a rocket. It would fly up past the bomber stream. Engine would burn out supersonic or near supersonic speed, roll over the top, dive down at the bomber formation with all that excess speed and power, and it carried a series of rockets in the nose, 33 of them, unguided, explosive-tipped rockets that would fire off in a almost like a shotgun blast into the bomber stream. And then the real prize of this uh, concept was that when it got close to the ground, the uh, pilot and the nose section would detach and uh, parachute down to the ground, and the fuselage would have separate parachute, and it would come down the ground. It was made with very uh, accessible resources. We talk a lot about the Mosquito Fighter Bomber, which was a mm -hmm. plywood, the wooden wonder uh, of the Brits. Uh, this airplane had a similar capability. Um, the never successfully was used in combat. The, uh, the couple of test flights, the first flight killed the pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, something happened with his canopy and he broke his neck on the, uh, on the launch. Mm -hmm. uh, but it never saw action. 36 of them were built. Some of them survived. Some of them made it to the United States. There's one at the Air Force Museum. Wright Patterson, Air mm -hmm. Force Yeah, yeah, yeah. And featured in um, Wingman, uh, let me try to guess. I don't know, 14 or 15? 14? Or How was it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's 14. Just buy the whole set and you'll come upon it eventually. On sale everywhere, please. Ella, top 10 airplanes so weird they didn't make it into World War II, please. Number four, Bell YFM-1 Air Cuda. The air now, here is a pretty incredible airplane, and you have to love the fact the way uh, Ella threw in the uh, the Air Cuda name. She was able to pull that off without any any hesitation, any uh, any tripping up on it. So, very proud of you on that one. This was designed in the 30s, uh, didn't get a lot of attention, and then they brought it back on. The idea was to make a bomber destroyer. Um, this airplane on the engine nacelles packed huge cannons um, on, in front of each engine with a pusher type engine. And it was designed to fly and fly into the, uh, the bomber stream and with the uh, movable uh, gun turrets at each one of these nacelles on the front part of the engine go to work, the 37 million cannons that they had. And it had large cabins and space for the crew. And it was, uh, was definitely uh, an aircraft that took a long time to get built, and then when they got the flying version of it up, it only did about 275 miles per hour. Not nearly uh, fast enough. It couldn't catch most of the bombers. And uh, the particular case of the pusher engine in this one definitely made for some handling issues with it because of the weight involved. Mm -hmm. You don't have the propeller in the front, and you're not getting that airflow over the wing uh, in a multi-engine airplane like this. There are some... Uh, uh, adverse effects that you can get. So they uh, they never were able to go very far with it, right. and they said adios. 
Um, one thing that um, I found, you know, just reading about this stuff all my life is that sometimes people might not realize the difference between a machine gun and a cannon. Okay, like a 50 caliber machine gun, which a lot of these airplanes, you know, carried in World War II. It's a machine gun. It shoots bullets. Okay, a cannon shell shoots cannon shells, and where it would it might take 20 or 30 bullets to shoot down an airplane, it would take one well placed cannon shell. Boom, it's gone. Right, Carl? One or two in your yeah. In general, that's so. It, that is a very true statement, Mac. So what they did on most fighter airplanes because they were trying to keep the performance of the airplanes up. You can put a 50 caliber machine gun and a series of them in buried into the wings, or in the case of a P-38, you can put a cluster of them in the, uh, the, the nose of the fuselage, because that was a twin-engined uh, fighter. In the cannon, it's not easy to stick those into the wing, plus you don't have a lot of room for the uh, ammunition. It's hard to belt that ammunition. So they tended to want to put those into the uh, fuselage of the uh, airplane where you had more space. And in that particular case, uh, the rate of fire is very slow, but if you're tagged up with one of these cannons, and in the case of the Germans, they tried mixing both. Uh, many of their fighters through the center hub of the propeller had a cannon, as well as machine guns that were nestled in the wings, mm -hmm. that you had both to choose from. Um, in yeah. general, uh, the uh, Allies tended to stay with the machine gun because you could put four on each wing, three in each wing, and so if you had a jam, you still had a, a, a reasonable rate of fire and amount of lead that you could put into the Opposing uh, aircraft, as opposed to the uh, probably the greatest cannon airplane is the A-10 with the 30 right. uh, yep. uh, millimeter uh, Gawait uh, electric uh, gun. It's a it's a Gatling it's a Gatling gun cannon, and they built an airplane around the cannon. So anyway, that uh, is correct. Ella, uh, top ten list of airplanes yes. so weird and they didn't make it into World War II. Please, number three, Bloom and Voss. BV-141 side saddle. Lumen Voss. Very interesting airplane. Very, very uh, unique in its design. The fuselage, the main fuselage that carried the tail or the empennage of the airplane had the propeller and engine at the end of it. There was a nacelle and a wing that is alongside it that the crew sat in. This was uh, repeated later on in a rutan design uh, many years later. There's certain efficiencies that was able to uh, get out of it, but there was a terrible uh, problem of a blind spot because in the crew in the fuselage, to looking to the left, uh, the larger fuselage that housed the engine and the, the main body of the, uh, the of the aircraft blocked their view. It uh, it is an airplane that uh, had a lot of interest by Ernest Hunt, who was the World War One ace, and, and he was the head of. Uh, of aviation production at the first part of it. The airplane just never really seemed to get past what they wanted to do with it. It could have been a decent reconnaissance, tactical reconnaissance airplane. Um, it just didn't carry enough firepower. And it, I think it just is one that just suffered from not uh, having a design that uh, was going to uh, carry the day. Yeah, just, it just once again, it looked unconventional. Yeah, it looked very, very odd. You know, you just can't imagine hundreds of these things being built for some reason. Uh, okay, so I thought well, the problem is is that this one was plagued with a bad engine. It mm -hmm. just did not have a really good power. That plant, kills a and lot of. That was the uh, the death knell. That kills a lot of a lot of airplanes. You know, they'll they'll design this kind of cool sure airplane, does. and it, it turns out to be underpowered. You know, and they have to kind of start from scratch. Or they were promised an engine. You know, they promised a certain engine, and yeah. that engine can't be made. Right. Yes. Or yes. it's not. It's behind uh, in in production, or it goes to another airplane. 
that happens a lot in World War II, where you know, there's only so many engines, and uh, they go to a different uh, manufacturer because they have better connections to get. Them. Yeah, right. Yeah, wow. Uh, okay, our top ten list of airplanes so weird they couldn't make it into World War II. Please, Eller. This one, I like the name. Number two, XP-67 Moonbat. Moonbat. McDonald Aircraft. This is one of my favorites as well, Ella. Uh, the idea behind this airplane was that they wanted to make it very aerodynamically efficient. They really wanted to smooth out every possible uh, joining uh, angle on the airplane, especially on the leading edges of the airplane. It very futuristic look to it. Uh, it really looks like an airplane that you just scream uh, through the air when it's when it's flying. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's supposed to be really agile. It just has everything there. But it just made about 400 miles per hour. This is late 44. Jet aircraft are starting to come online. And it did not really have great handling. It didn't provide the kind of maneuverability uh, that it just looks like it should have had or what it was projected to have. Um, it did carry six 37-millimeter cannons, which would have been a very, very impressive ground attack machine. And sadly, the only working model of this aircraft was lost uh, in an accident, oh. uh, claiming the uh, test pilot's life. Bummer. And uh, yeah. it was pretty quickly abandoned. There was just too many of things that were coming on around it. Right. Yeah. I think if this airplane was on the drawing boards five years earlier, it probably yeah. would have gone into production. You probably would have seen it, and it probably would have made a mark. Because it, it, it had, uh, I think... Early on, anything that was making 400 miles per hour would have would have caught the attention. Right. Towards the end of World War II, the end of World wasn't War, going to get the attention. The end of World War II was a very odd, you know, kind of turning point for aviation history. Is because you had all these very superior, top-notch propeller planes, which you know you, you you almost point you know push them to the limit, and the P-47 Thunderbolt, which was basically an engine with wings on it, you know, that would approach very very high speeds. Right, uh, but then you had jets coming in that were, you know, in their infancy. Let's say so you had this new kind of technology that's at, it's you know taking baby steps while you have a technology you know that that's matured that is just doing you know top notch stuff. The P fifty one Mustang is probably one of the most beautiful airplanes ever ever built, but it was one of the last propeller airplanes. So, um, Mac, an interesting thing that you're uh, linking up to as well is. So much money was dumped into military technology in World War. It's exponential the explosion mm -hmm. and in every possible area that you can think of. Munitions, ships, things like plastics, sure. uh, synthetics, synthetic rubbers. I mean, it just it, everything blew out in every possible direction. Yes. And there was enough money uh, that if you could experiment and get people's attention, unique problems were being solved with very, very strange uh entries to uh, to, 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 to answer the, the question, this particular thing that the military wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But I also think that at some point in the uh, in the late 44, I think everyone started to realize this thing is one. I think I think people knew that and they started to plan for what was sure. coming next. Right, exactly. You know, who's going to survive? Who's going to uh, to uh, to join up? Who's going to combine companies? What's going to happen post-World War II? I think it, it, there's a, there was a huge undercurrent that was going on with this. And this next airplane, I think, is a pretty good example. So, Ella, number one in our list of top ten airplanes so weird they couldn't get into World War II. Say it, Ella. Number one, V-173 v Flying Pancakes. The flying Pancakes, man. <laughs> Sometimes called the round, this is a twin-engine airplane. It specifically was designed to try to figure out a way to get an airplane off in very, very short takeoff distance and same thing, land in a very short distance. 
the, the, the thought was if they could get this to take off from a short distance, primarily looking at possibly a ship, but have good speed when it got to altitude. This airplane looks very much like a Frisbee with kind of a flattened front uh, mm -hmm. end to it. It was uh, able to land and take off in extremely small spaces. One of the pilots yeah. that flew this and said that it had extremely good slow speed handling hmm. uh, capabilities was test pilot Charles Lindbergh of oh, Solo really? crossing the Atlantic in 1927. Yeah, fame. there it is. This and this airplane caught a lot of attention and it it also generated a lot of UFO or flying saucer activity because of its very shape. It never really got past the, uh, the demonstration phase um, mm -hmm. as an airplane. It it, it it had some very strange failures towards the end of the program, um, but the airplane and those that flew it said it was an incredible airplane and it had a lot of potential. What do you look at? And I think some of its capabilities made their way into other airplanes. But this one yeah. has always been one of my favorites. I would have liked to have seen this flown. And uh, it looks like it has, uh, I've seen some home-built airplanes uh, that have been uh, based on this. Mm -hmm and uh, pretty uh, pretty interesting capability. See, that's one thing too to keep in mind is that you know when they when they spend a lot of money on some kind of a prototype that goes nowhere, there's a good chance that a lot of the technology that was developed for that will just move on to another plane and you know and, and accumulate into something that's that's even better. But if I can just describe it even though we're on the radio, if you can imagine like a really kind of floppy irregular pancake with two spikes coming out of its ends which have huge propellers on them and then it has these long kind of awkward looking small landing gear and then the cockpit is like right up on the edge of the pancake so where does the syrup go switchy where, where you put the fake butter i'll go to you between the rudder sir the right switch okay. there it is okay well yeah okay that's good. switchy non-verbal communication okay that's good well thank you very much uh coco let's give coco a round of applause please please everyone 1850 if i have to put it in okay uh, we'll call that a dribble of applause. Thank you, Coco. And um, why don't we take a commercial break now, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exhaust Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. It's the show of lists. Stay tuned. We're back. You're listening to Macmillan's Miltrix. Let me start again. Start at 10. Welcome back, everyone, to Macmillan's Miltrix on show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, this is the show of lists. Two hours of top 10 lists. Let me introduce the members of the posse. Girls, get ready. If you're not ready already, get ready. Because he's here, the very famous one one. I'm here, the very famous Juan Juan. Hi, Mac, the very famous Mac, and the very famous Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. Welcome, everyone, to the continuing saga of the show this evening. It's awesome. We should have a great out. time. I live for this, as you know. We should point out that, as I said, get your fan. No, I didn't calendar. even have to say, get your fan ready, the female member of our. I tell you, my fan is ready with some of the guests we've Damn. had on. She's fanning herself for you, Juan Juan. Can you, <laughs> I see this. Can you see what's going on? Thank there? you very much. Look, look the Thank clock's you. melted. Look at that. The clock. It's like a Salvador Dali wow. painting. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Dali clock. It's a Dali clock. 
In Roman numerals, no less. Huh. Maybe I should. You know, I learned Roman numerals in school. Did you, Mac? Uh, uh, no. Uh, who, who, ta- who taught so, you? Plato? One, one. What is MMMXL? Wait a minute. MMMM2000. XL? MMMXL. MMM3000. Oh, my goodness. X before L, that's 40. 3040. Wow. Fascinating. Well, would MMXF be then for Mac Maloney's military exiles? Right. Hey, you know, I've got... Uh, right, you didn't Romans, give me an answer. What, what are you, a spokesperson? I, like, I've got a Patriots Super Bowl hat, but when they only had five Super Bowls. Oh, this is... I yes. still have it, my this, collection. This famous hat. Made by a famous... Uh, it's not a knockoff. What was that? Go ahead. Uh, it's made by the same company that makes the Red Sox hats. Go ahead. And it has the Roman numerals of every Super Bowl. Yes. And one of them is incorrect. Whoa, okay. I'll have to show you this hat one of these days. Can I buy that for you? For- I called up about I, I called the, the manufacturer. But I called, first I called the, the Patriot store, then I called yes. the manufacturer. Really? I mean, the, the Patriot store people had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> wow. I don't think they even knew what Roman numerals what were. What a surprise. But. Okay. All right. It's, I'll show it to you, and you will say, yes, it's wrong. And I actually, was, I actually had to look it up just to make sure I wasn't on drugs or something. Well, I understand it. You it's always good to check. You by the Romans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Switcher. Hey, I'm proud that I'm able to read like this, the Roman numerals at the end of every movie when they indicate uh, wow. when the release that's date. Wow, that's a fascinating talent to have these days. You know, that's, some, yep. okay. that's something I've always wanted to look up. Maybe you know it because you went to film school. Is Why do they I use do. Roman numerals? I think only one or two times that I see the actual mm-hmm. release date of a movie in right. just uh, you know, Arabic numbers. They're trying to look uh, highbrow. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well, well, uh, what else would it be? You know, why are they all lying at the beginning? Like I, I, I read the ones after the three three Stooges shorts, and they're very quick. You got to really quick, and it's kind of like fuzzy because of yes. how old the print is. You know, in yeah, nineteen thirty six. Wow, this is fascinating. Next week it's going to be uh, you know cave art with one one. <laughs> okay. Roman numeral talk. One Roman numeral talk. Okay, all right. I can I can think of a million dirty jokes. Right. Just give us one. Well, look at the XXV ones on her. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. That's right off my the top apologies. of my head. So I'm sorry. sorry, Ella. Okay. Why don't we get to what we're doing here tonight? And this is Night of Lists. Okay. So um, in the previous segment, we talked uh, top 10 weirdest airplanes. So weird they couldn't get into World War II. And now we're going to do, I know, one of Switchy's favorite subjects, cryptids. The top 10 weirdest cryptids ever reported ever seen is that uh, adequate uh, for your intro there that's what you're running yes uh, uh there there actually probably are a lot more we're talking again we're talking about really strange cryptids very I mean, we strange could argue that all cryptids are a little bit odd and yes. not, otherwise they wouldn't be called cryptids describe it these cryptid. are some of the really weird ones give the thumbnail a, a thumbnail uh description of a cryptid uh a, a cryptid simply means uh, an animal that is unknown that is undocumented Oh, oh, oh. Like like a bigfoot, like a bigfoot, or, or a Loch Ness monster, oh, okay, or, or a Mothman, wing creature, claimed to exist but but never proven to exist. Oh, okay, yes. all right. Well, you know, Coco used to have a, a a dog that looked more like a wolf. Was he? Yes, but he was part wolf, so he really didn't fall into the cryptic category okay. unless yeah. he was chasing you, and you thought he was a werewolf. <laughs> right. As long as you stayed on all fours and not not tying. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple neighbors. That may be stretching the term what neighbors are. We thought it'd be funny to tease him, and uh, they didn't enjoy the, the <laughs> What's having the wolf walk up to the door? I mean, but wasn't he just like a, a, an unusually large animal anyway? Or 
No, he was half uh, Timberwolf and half Melon. Oh, 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 he's a Melon is a, is a big dog anyway. Okay, wow. Okay, right. yeah. Wow. That was Jack. Yeah, he was a great dog, man. I was thinking about him today for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, so, what happened to him? I remember him sitting he got under old my and chair. Passed away. Old age, oh, that of old age. Sorry. Yep. Jack was sitting under my chair throughout the entire, almost oh. the entire afternoon at one of Cobra's uh, galas up in Soirees, yes, Soirees. Yeah. Soirees. He bonded with uh, Jack. Yep, yep, I remember that. He met me at the gate, yes. uh, questioned my credentials, uh, checked my bona fides with his uh, sniffed them, his, uh, his teeth. And then when uh, Cobra came around the corner and said, hey, Juan, blah, blah, blah. Then Jack knew that uh, I was okay and escorted me into the property. Okay, right. And, from, and after that, we were best buds. Because you afternoon. were feeding them. You were feeding them lamb chops. I was not feeding time. them no, okay. people food. No, right. it was not. Okay, all right. Maybe he expected our... it, but I don't think he was. He wasn't begging for food or Stick anything. He was it. just hanging out with me. Maybe he, he was checking me out at first, you know, make sure I didn't uh, indicate I was uh, there for any kind of uh, foul play or anything. Oh, okay, okay. all right. I, I thought you were going to say as a partner. Really. Huh? He was checking you out I, as a partner. I will say this, that all the dogs that are here, especially the male dogs, yes. nobody gets between them and Mrs. Cobra. He has the yeah, ability to uh, get their uh, their complete loyalty. Absolutely amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Ella, you saw a picture of Bear. Bear is in that picture I sent you with uh, the the uh, pig Zeppelin. So. He's beautiful. Wow, that's what's going on up at Coco's farm. So anyway, listen, switchy. Okay. Ella, when you come up here, you got to check out his his compound. Slap yourself. That would be wonderful. Slap yourself awake there, Switch. Okay, so we're going to do the top ten <laughs> odd cryptids. <laughs> Odd cryptids, right? But we've done it already. Didn't okay. We? Yes. Okay, so when we go to Ella, Ella, please, you have the 10. list. Ella, you have the list of the top 10 okay. odd cryptids, right? Let's go to number 10, please. Number 10, the specter of Winterfold. The specter. Yes, the specter of Winterfold. November 12th, 1967, Woking, Surrey, England. Philip Freeman and Angela Carter. Uh, they're driving along in his Triumph convertible with the top up, fortunately, and there's a light drizzle. And so the, they've, uh, they've just started up, so the engine really isn't uh, warm enough, and the, the windshield's starting to fog up a bit. So he pulls over to give it some time for the defroster to catch up. And then he steps outside, and, and then once he gets back in, he looks into the, through the passenger window and sees, well, the first thing that catches him is they, 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 uh, there's this really, really awful smell a bad smell and anybody that's, that looks at these cryptid reports knows that sometimes bigfoots and sometimes other cryptids do seem to give off a pretty foul odor well as he, he gets into the car and he looks in the passenger window he sees something that looks like the size of a head but there's no features on it it's featureless and uh and his uh, his girlfriend sees the expression on his face she turns and looks and freaks out and uh he, it doesn't. It's not not very clear what it is, but it's uh, sort of sort of a, has sort of a head that's that's featureless. Then it also there's sort of an arm projection that goes up on one side. Now as he gets in the car to take off, this thing has moved around to the back of the car, and the bottom of it is kind of almost like a cone or whatever. It looks a little bit uh, like a poor man's Flatwoods monster, but not like like not a complete Flatwoods monster. It has kind of that same uh, strange look, and then that was it. They took off, got the heck out of there. They reported it. They had they were really freaking out. It seemed like something really happened, but we don't even know what this is. I mean, was it even a creature? Was it robotic? Was it some kind of an apparition? So the specter of Winterfold actually is a pretty good name. And how about, uh, let's do number nine now. Number nine, the Purple Blobs. Ah, yes, the Purple Blobs. John Keel. Uh, this is March 31, 
1967. This is uh, in the, the year of the Garuda, when he went down to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to investigate the Mothman and all the other strange incidents there. At this point in time, he was in the what they call the Chief Cornstalk hunting ground. Chief Cornstalk was the Shawnee warrior that uh, was murdered back in the 1700s. He was actually a peacemaker. And uh, some believe that he uttered a curse. They talk about the Chief Cornstalk curse, which actually is nonsense, but that's another story. His name was uh, Chief. So he's in the Chief Cornstalk hunting ground. His name was Chief Cornstalk. What's that? His name was Chief Cornstalk. Chief Cornstalk, yes. That's not a very heroic yeah, so name. A, so, They're usually called like Chief Raging well, Bull or something, right? Chief Cornstalk. Yeah, you know, you, you take what you get, I guess. Okay, so, <laughs> good. I mean, wisdom from Switchy. Go ahead, please. Uh, so anyway, John Keel is in the, he's, he's gone to different areas around here because there's been a lot of UFOs that go overhead. But this one particular night, he's noticing these purple blobs, these lights that are kind of moving around in the trees. And uh, at one point, now he, this isn't in the book, The Mothman Prophecies, this other part. He talks about this in one of his lectures. These things came down and surrounded him and started swirling around him, almost as if there was some kind of intelligence. Uh, people that studied the UFO phenomena find that there are many claims that some of these may actually be uh, sentient beings. They may actually be some kind of skyfish or something like that. Well, John Keel talked to a farmer uh, the next day because he had seen, also he'd seen kind of in one of the hollers, he'd seen one, uh, like a, the whole forest area was glowing purple. So he asked this farmer about it the next day and he said, well, yes, that happens sometimes, but I stay the hell away from there because one of my dogs went into the forest when it was lit up like that and never came back. So what were they? Were they some kind of uh, intelligent beings or whatever? Uh, it was just a very interesting encounter. And now we can go to the next one. In the top 10 uh, weird okay, cryptids. Number eight. number eight, please. Sorry. That's okay, Ellen. <laughs> the Dover Demon. Dover Demon. Yes, the Dover Demon. Yes, in, in your neck of the woods, uh, you Easterners, Northeasterners. Uh, Dover, Massachusetts, April 21st. Uh, William Bartlett and a couple of friends, they're driving along and they're driving along with these old stone walls that you see out there. And they, they see this thing that first they think is some kind of animal. And as they, they, they get a better look at it, it, uh, it, it looks a little bit like what has become the known as a gray, but not really. It had kind of a big bulbous, almost a figure eight head, a small little spindly body and skinny arms and legs. And it, it could be on, uh, it, at this point in time, it was on all fours, just slowly crawling along, around along the, uh, 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 this old stone wall. Yes. And uh, that, you know, they reported it, they freaked them out. A couple hours later, you find out there's another guy who they didn't, they didn't know each other, John Baxter, saw the same creature, apparently the same description. This was walking on two legs and it was sort of holding onto a tree uh, for support, mm. called it kind of monkey-like, like, but also uh, said it was, uh, it had the same kind of uh, strange-looking head. And then that was that was it. There's, these are these these are a couple of these where a few people see these things and the descriptions match, but that's it. Right. And there wasn't uh, people think well maybe alien or whatever, but there were no strange lights seen, mm -hmm. and uh, and and that was that was it's that. like a strange creature. You know, you hear a lot about these things. You know, yeah. just you hear a lot about where people will just in, there'll be few witnesses. Sometimes they're like like a one-off cryptid. Right. Yeah, like one-off cryptid. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it. So anyway, top ten very weird cryptids. Let's go to the next one, please. Ella. Number seven, the Riverside Monster. Yes, the Riverside Monster. Yes, this Monster. is also known as the Wetzel Encounter. Uh, Mr. Wetzel, uh, this is November 8th, 1958, California, uh, near uh, Riverside. The, the, the river there has, uh, there's been a lot of rain and it's been overflowing. And uh, he sees this creature, which is uh, about six feet tall. Uh, it, it's 
it doesn't doesn't fit anything. The the head is uh, it's it's kind of the size of a Bigfoot perhaps, but the head is more like a scarecrow. He said. He said it has scales, but they're not like fish scales. They're they're kind of like they, they look like leaves the way it it hugs around the body. There are no ears, no nose that you can see, but it has a beak like mouth. So this is like a, a strange. Uh, uh, there used to be when I was a kid, I had something that was called a funny face maker for Popeye, and you could put in different faces to make make this match. This is almost like a, a funny face maker for cryptids, and this is like one of these one shot deals that that nobody else has seen. The the eyes were kind of uh, fluorescent; they were like fluorescent. The legs came out of the side of its torso, yes, and it had long spindly arms. So, uh, and that was just just one of these. Uh, and the the local local newspapers uh, dubbed it the abominable no man. <laughs> hey, that's not Get bad. It, not bad for the. Very uh, clever. Not bad. Not not bad for a journalist, right? Mm. Let me ask you this, uh, Switchy. Okay, um, I I don't yes. think it's on the list, but what did the guys down at um, Pascagoula, Mississippi, when they encountered their alien, weren't they shaped like carrots with one big eye or something? They, they, they were kind of. Uh, well, they didn't even have eyes. They had like the uh, the the carrot nose and ears. Uh, mm. They were uh, like androids, robots, or, or whatever. Mm. Uh, grayish skin, grayish wrinkled skin. Uh, in the uh, during uh, uh, Charles Hickson during his uh, regressive hypnosis, yes. one of his sessions, he uh, said something about seeing he was inside the craft and there was a partition, and then there was a window there. He saw figures that looked more human. Uh-huh. Uh, which is something I didn't know about, but then implying that perhaps if this was a real experience, yes. uh, that these things were androids, robots, or whatever, just sent to retrieve them and to bring them into the craft, and they weren't the actual uh, pilots of that craft. Or guys in costumes. I mean, they, weren't they, they were literally dressed like big carrots or something, weren't they? I mean, maybe it was just a Maybe their uniforms, yes. Uh, next, uh, this is the top 10 very weird cryptids. Top 10, please. Ella, next one, please. Next cryptid. Yes, Number six, the devil monkey. The devil monkey. Ah, the devil monkey. Now, uh, this thing is seen all over the place, and you, you have to be careful because uh, uh, some of the features uh, of this thing are, uh, people describe it baboon-like, kangaroo-like, dog-like. It's like it has a, a combined characteristics of different animals. Um, it, so they, uh, you know, it's possible that, that this is not exactly you know, the same creature, but uh uh, the th- thing is, it's been this, something this or something like it has been seen all over Alaska, Arizona, Georgia, uh, uh, Kentucky, New Hampshire, um, and even uh, in Mount Vernon, Illinois had a sighting. Um, sometimes they're seen with, uh, uh, with shaggy fur, but one of the characteristics is they, they do walk, but they also can leap or, or jump. Uh, they're about three to four feet tall. And again, and small pointed ears, uh, uh, like I say, baboon-like body. And, and oftentimes the face and the nose is more like a canine. Hmm. Uh, in uh, Chester, Pennsylvania, Chester County, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, James McCandle saw it or saw something like it, called it half man, half beast, covered with hair, moved by walking or leaping, almost like a kangaroo. Obviously not a kangaroo. Yes. This had large red eyes, which we've heard many times before. Uh, and uh, so this is uh, just one of these, uh, one of these cryptids that... Uh, you know, it's we like to put names on things. Yes. So it may not be exactly the same thing. Uh, and actually, there was a sighting, uh, some weird creatures in November of 66, north of Point Pleasant, mm-hmm. while the, when the Mothman stuff was starting. Cecil Lucas, his dogs were alerted. He goes outside and sees three strange creatures covered with dark fur. Uh, George Dudding, who wrote about the uh, the uh, devil monkey, uh, thinks that uh, they might that might have been devil monkeys. Uh, Mary Heyer, who's the lady that uh, worked with John Keel, in her column, 
she called them man bears. So mm-hmm. there you go, another description. But again, people are seeing uh, these odd creatures that don't fit any particular category. I would love. And sometimes they're. Go ahead. I would love to have a baboon like body. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Okay. You could swing from tree to tree. Yeah. On Sci Fi Channel Saturday night. (laughs) Behind the scenes in Max. It was an interesting reveal there, Max. Why? Why? I was putting that down on my notepad. Well, baboons are very strong. I'm choosing to bring that back up. And I noticed that Ella put her sunglasses on when you made that remark. (laughs) So there's a lot happening. A lot happening here. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of that. It's sort of an undercurrent. Is that what you mean? Let's go there. There's definitely an alternating undercurrent right now. (laughs) Baboons are very strong, and they're like the uh, kings of the jungle. Unless you run up against a lion or an elephant. Uh, okay, or a gorilla. Or, or a gorilla. Okay. All right. Now, wait, hang on a second there, Irish whiskey. So you're saying a baboon and a gorilla, a gorilla would win? Yes. Really? Absolutely. You sure? I think so. Wouldn't yeah. a baboon Baby. go nuts Listen, on a gorilla? Ella, I have an Andrew Jackson, a dead relative, to uh, give to you to place on the baboon versus <sighs> gorilla fight. <laughs> Three rounds. I say gorilla wins. Thank you, yeah. Ella. You don't think a baboon would, well, go, would jump around like crazy? Okay, all right. Let's look into it. Twenty bucks there, uh, Cece. Twenty bucks. Uh oh. <laughs> that means time is a hundred. Making his crystal. Ding. Yeah, that's apple juice. Okay, all right. Let's go. All right, let's uh, baboon gorilla. Let's see what happens. All right, so why don't we go to the next uh, uh, weird cryptid? Please count down. Top ten. Number five, Hopkinsville Goblins. Mm. Yes, we all know the story about the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins, August 21st, 1955. Uh, Billy Ray goes out, uh, there's a big family gathering, he goes out to get some water at the pump. He sees a oval-shaped object moving across the sky and landing behind the hill. Now, the, the behavior of these creatures, uh, we may very well be dealing with some kind of alien life form, but other people think that, no, it wasn't really, uh, they aren't really ET, they are actually from the Earth. What happens is, uh, he he gets somebody to come out with him because nobody's believing that what he's seen. Now they see this creature coming out of the woods. It's about three and a half feet tall, silvery. It's got uh, a big bulbous head, pointed ears. The classic uh, the classic little green man, although they're not necessarily green. Uh, huge glowing eyes and very long arms. Yes. And they're besieged by these creatures. They get out their guns and start shooting at these things. They can take the blast full in the chest and just roll away and get up and run away. Uh, one of them was coming out of the house and this thing was on top. They could hear it walking across the tin roof and it reached down to grab them. So uh, apparently these uh, these little guys were not particularly afraid of the, the residents of, uh, of Hopkinsville. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they, they, they actually uh, got together in the car went to report to the sheriff. Sheriff came back, sees the house all shot up, sees the, they're all freaked out. Dr. Jalen Heineck and Blue Book investigated this mm-hmm. and they uh, they uh, they drew, you know, uh, uh, illustrations of the creatures and so forth. Uh, it sounded like, they said it sounded like when they, when they, with their, their uh, shotgun hit the uh, creature, it sounded like a, like a tin bucket being hit. Uh-huh. And uh, when they, they came back and uh, everything was quiet for a while and then the creatures came back. So, we, we, you know, nobody knows what they are. Mm-hmm. It seems like there was a real experience there. But uh, uh, if these are really creatures from another world investigating Earthlings, uh, they went about it a very strange the, way. Uh, I think there was a story at, that the, the reason, the moment that they knew something was up was that they heard their dog scratching at the door to be let in. And they let him in. The dog just like made a beeline for the cellar and hid down there. 
And the next thing they knew, that's you know, a, that's a bad sign. All these creatures, yeah, that's no, you know, one of them should go down there with them. There was a documentary made, a, a uh, where they do a reenactment. It's called Monsters of the UFO, and apparently one of the kids that I mean, he remembered what happened. He reported what happened, and he could he could see these things through the windows and so forth. He uh, after that incident. He uh, ended up going to church every Sunday for the rest of his life. <laughs> that would do so, it. Uh, it uh, that 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 could possibly do it. Okay. All right. Hey, listen. Top ten very weird cryptids. We're counting them down. Please, Ella. Yes, number four is very interesting. Number car four. engine stopping Bigfoot. The car engine. Yes, stopping Bigfoot. Car engine stopping Bigfoot. The car that's engine. Why it's titled that way because stopping. we could imagine a Bigfoot stopping a car just Bigfoot. by stepping out in front of it. Yes. But this was a little bit different. This is. Uh, near Marlington, West Virginia, and uh, near the state forest there, 1960, October 1960, a gentleman named W.D. Doc Priestley. He's driving along his, uh, he'd been on, on an excursion with his buddies, and uh, they're up in a, in a bus, and he's following behind them. Well, all of a sudden, his car stalls and rolls to a stop. He looks up to his left, and he sees what looks pretty much like a classic Bigfoot. But the thing is that it seems to have some effect on his combustion engine when its hair is standing up on end. And uh, he's like, what the heck? So uh, his buddies realize, apparently, that he's not behind him. They're up ahead, turning around to come back. Wow. The Bigfoot, or whatever it is, decides to recede into the woods, and then he's able to start his car again. Now, he doesn't tell his buddies at that point what happened because, well, for obvious reasons, probably. Mm -hmm. So he takes off again, starts to get a, a short distance down the road. Uh, the car starts to chug and stall again, and there's sparking underneath the hood. And sure enough, there's the same Bigfoot or his kissing cousin and uh, standing by the road, hair standing on Ed. Yes. And apparently having some kind of interaction like like we've heard UFOs and uh, phantom armies and other uh, uh, ghosts and so forth, draining batteries, et cetera. Right. Something was interacting with the combustion engine of the car and actually burned out his engine. Wow. That's weird, man. Yes. That's really strange. Now, that's a weird Bigfoot. Yeah, right. Really. Uh, please, Ella, uh, next uh, in uh, our top 10 countdown of very weird cryptids. Okay, number three, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. The Talking yes. Mongoose. Jeff, and it's spelled G-E-F, and they know that because the Talking Mongoose told them so. The Talking Mongoose. This is the, this is the Isle of Man uh, back in 1931. Okay. September 1931 is when this thing first shows up. James Irving, now the, the father of the house, he's married, his, his, his daughter, Glory, is the, the young lady that interacts with this thing a good deal. He's an educated man. He's a yes. re uh, retired piano salesman. Uh -huh. But who are we and, talking about, Switch? I'm sorry, I got lost. Are we talking about Mr. Irving or are we talking about the talking Okay, we're talking about man. Uh, well, James Irving is an educated man. It's his, okay. his household. Okay, sorry, I'm just trying to keep, you can't tell the players without the scorecards. Go ahead. Right, okay, no problem. Okay, okay so uh, he, uh, at one point uh, uh, in mid September, he sees this weasel like animal. And uh, around the house, and it's making weird noises like dog and cat noises. Okay. And he finds out that it, it will mimic any other noises. You make any other like animal noises or whatever, it would uh, uh, mimic it. So he uh, it, it gets into the house. He can hear they can hear scratching in the house. So yes. they're assuming it's in there. Yes. And it's it's almost like it's trying to learn speech. They hear it making this gurgling noise or whatever, and uh, eventually. They start hearing it talking in a high-pitched voice. Now they don't always see it. Sometimes they're just hearing a voice, kind of like a poltergeist situation. 
Uh, but this thing, it, it's a really long involved story. This thing has conversations with them. It, know, it knows other languages. It's a, and it, but it's basically, it's a mongoose. It, 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 uh, it tells them that they, it had uh, died in, in uh, India in uh, 1852 in, in New Delhi. In, in Delhi, rather, and uh, it was he was chased and shot by hunters. Yes. Uh, so this is a reincarnated cryptid from India. Well, right. this is on uh, the great they, Hindu wheel. They had uh, uh, psychics and everything come oh. over to, to check it out. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, newspaper people, and they would hear the voices, and they thought, well, maybe this uh, this girl is uh, has been is a ventriloquist and can throw her voice and so forth. Yes. But it, it seemed like there was something really weird going on. Yes. Uh, a guy named uh, a psychic named Harry Price wanted to come, but the, the mongoose didn't want him to come. He didn't. said, because he was a skeptic. Said the mongoose so is fussy now. This yes. Captain James McDonald in the, in the place. And again, a lot of people would, would, uh, but the, uh, the mother and father and, and the girl would, would actually see it sometimes. Yes. Uh, it would eat people food. It's, Why it's, not? Just, it's bizarre, yes. but it got very abusive. Sometimes it had, uh, it could swear a blue streak. See, the you know what happened? So, well, obviously, to get to the Isle of Man, this mongoose was a sailor. We understand sailors oh, can have salty language. You know what happened, uh, but, though? Uh, he got so famous, you couldn't look him in the eye, right? <laughs> okay, go ahead, please. Switch it. Yeah. Go. Anyway, uh, it would uh, sometimes objects would be thrown. It would, uh, it could make, it could knock on the walls in any part of the house. Again, implying something more like a poltergeist. Again, if it's, it would have to be kind of an elaborate hoax for the whole thing to be a farce. Get a talking uh, mongoose. Could have been. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. But what would the mongoose say? Would he speak it like in a British accent? Like, you know, get me out of here? Or? It was a very, very high pitched, very high pitched voice. Well, that was, uh, it would speak a joke other there. sometimes. It would supposedly, it would go in other parts of the island and, and see what was going on. It would come back and tell them what they saw, what somebody was reading or whatever. Uh, or talking about, and it would be verified. So uh, again, it's a crazy story. Can I just detailed, say something? But Fake Magazine okay. interviewed Vori when she uh, she had been a young lady okay. in 1970. Yes, and she said that yes, it was it did really happen. Uh, she wasn't uh, trying to do this for attention, or she wasn't a vinculturist. And she got she was really angry about the whole thing because uh, you know she was made fun of by the students. Wow. And this this thing uh, kind of disappeared about by about 38 or 39. Yes, and it didn't. Uh, uh, didn't have any long conversations with anybody or well, wow. when you read the book and some of the back and forth, if it's, it, it's, it boggles the mind because yes. we know that there, we have the bell witch situation where it sounds a little bit like the, the bell witch in, enactment. So the, the bell witch thing was very, very violent and oh. nasty, Okay, but uh, it's a wild, wild story. Yeah. Well. And for, it's good. Good. for If you want uh, to be entertained, check out Jeff, the talking mongoose. It would have to be wild if it's about a talking mongoose. So, okay, uh, top 10 really weird cryptids. Please, Ella, next one, please. Number two, the Loveland Frogman. Oh. Loveland, Ohio Frogman, yes. Yes. Uh, 1972, the, the Miami River. Uh, there's a, uh, the police officer is uh, making his regular rounds, and uh, he uh, he sees this uh, uh First, he thinks it's just an animal, uh, a, a dead animal on the ground. And uh, so he go, it's like a dead dog. Maybe he's been hit by a car or, or an injured animal. And he goes to take, take a look at it. And there's this kind of a, 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 uh, a four-foot humanoid figure mm. with a face uh, like a, a frog and a wide mouth, wow. jumps over the guardrail and jumps into the water. Now, you, you find out that if you go back in time in uh, 1955, in that same area, a businessman saw three figures in the same general area uh, near the bridge. 
They were wrinkled, he said, no hair, wide mouths like a frog, mm -hmm. and one held some kind of a wand that was giving off blue sparks, which sounds a lot like uh, some of the other, uh, like out of folklore, the uh, the uh, little people holding wands, yes. or even the UFO pilots uh, 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 holding some kind of device. Right. Uh, the uh, uh, so you you have that cooperation now. It's uh, the guy's name is Ray Shockley, I believe, okay. was the police officer. Two weeks later, well, he reports this. I mean, he probably was, he was sorry later that he did. A cop. But he, he's, two weeks later, his partner sees essentially the same thing. Yes. And uh, he went through the same thing. He sees this thing laying there. He thinks, well, maybe it's an injured animal. And this thing gets up. And five, this one's five to six feet tall, matted hair, leathery skin. Yes. And it it, it jumps into the water. Are they wearing clothes? The, Switch. Oh, two are they wearing clothes? Are they wearing no. clothes? Okay, no, no all right. They're, so they're big frogs. Okay, go ahead. Not, not very stylish. Yeah. Okay. Now uh, you find out that in nineteen in sixteen ninety six, French missionaries encountered uh, the local Native Americans, hmm. and they warned them about a demon that lived in that river. So whatever this is, the folklore goes way back. Right. And the postscript to this is James Renner, who writes about this in It Came from Ohio, talks about how he tracked down Shockley. And uh, Shockley, uh, after a while, just said, no, you know what? I just I must have seen an iguana. Uh, I, I was it was I was mistaken. And <laughs> so people forgot about it for years. Okay. He went to talk to Shockley and, and he, he, Shockley was very reluctant to talk to him. But as Renner was leaving, he said, you know what? It, it wasn't it wasn't an iguana. It, it, was, it wasn't a lizard. It was a frog. It was big. Wow. And that's all he said. Huh. I think it's just a, a quick footnote. If, yes, if, if they were clothed frogmen, they would have been the Ninja Turtles, frog turtle things. There you I go. Think that, that was covered. That's why they didn't have the clothes. I just think it's you know, ironic. Things of that nature. I think it's ironic that well, French, like shoes, obviously. I think it's ironic that French missionaries would be warning people about large frogs. Yes. Okay. Considering yeah, they, were, uh, they were warned about frogs. Yeah. Considering about the appetite and the, uh, Coco. the menu. And Coco the connected the dots on. there. Okay. Right, I, so, think, I didn't think those frogs would stand a chance. I mean, listen, you know, I don't want to talk about our great allies, the French. Who would eat a frog? Who would eat a frog's leg? Ella, I've tried them. They're quite Ella, good. Did you, Ella, did you just raise your hand? No, no. Oh, okay. No, I was laughing. Oh, good. No, okay. But I would try it. We I'd like were. to try it. A frog? You would eat a frog? Oh, man. Tastes like chicken. Tastes, yeah, everything <laughs> tastes like frogs. chicken. I But enough to eat them? Enough to eat one? I'd try it, yeah. I mean, kissing a frog is better than Matt, did you ever dissect one in school? Uh, no, I was out there. Yeah, day. I did. Yeah, I did. I did. Our school couldn't afford them, so we <laughs> they keep putting the frog yeah, back together. Had to go out and catch them. Huh? <laughs> they, they, they dissected hot dogs instead. Sew it back together. Give it to the next class. Hot dogs. Anyway, oh, listen. Okay. So we're at the end of the top 10 countdown of really weird cryptids. Please, Ella. Number one, the Enfield Horror. The Enfield Horror is cool. Go ahead, please, Switchy. April 26, 1973, uh, and Mr. and Mrs. McDaniel. Now, they're, they've been out, and their kids hear some kind of scratching at the door, and they, they don't bother to answer it. It kind of freaks them out. And then later on, the scratching is over by the air conditioner. So finally, Mr. and Mrs. McDaniel come home, and the kids tell them that, you know, something weird was going on. So uh, the, the scratching comes again, Mr. McDaniel opens the door, and then there's this creature about four and a half to five feet tall. It's gray. It's got uh, pink flashlight eyes. Mm. It has uh, two arms, 
coming out of its front, not the sides. Uh, and it seems to have three legs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now there's an unusual cryptid. Three legs. And it's making a hissing noise. Mr. McDaniel slams the door, goes and gets a, a handgun. And uh, he goes up, opens the door again. It's still there, you know, and he shoots it point blank and it takes off. They find, they find out that a half hour before, uh, Gray, Greg Garrett, who is the, 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 the kid that lives behind them, he encountered the same thing. He's 10 mm -hmm. years old mm -hmm. and he encountered the same creature. Uh, he said the only, only difference, uh, now, now both of them just saw this quickly. His, his version was the only difference was it was covered in slime. Slime, of course. And it, it attacked him. It went after him and it stepped on his, and one of his shoes and it had, had, you know, claws or whatever, and it ripped his shoes up, mm. but it, it took off. So the police get called and there's, there's police all over the place. And, uh, a little bit later on, uh, there's five hunters out. Again, they don't know what's going on. Yep. And it's near the, the local railroad tracks there. They see the same thing. And uh, it just kind of disappears into the night. Uh, they, they found out that they, they actually found footprints. Uh, there were three footprints. Uh, two of the legs had like six pads on it. Yes. And the, uh, the third leg, the uh, distinguishing characteristic about it, it was much smaller. Oh, okay. So this thing shows up. It uh, freaks people the hell out. And it's one of a kind. I mean, mm -hmm. this is even stranger. At least the Dover Demon has a, a, a rough resemblance. And some of these other ones have rough, rough resemblances to greys or Bigfoots or other things that yeah. people claim to have encountered. The Enfield Monster is, is definitely, it's, if, if for no other reason, it's a horror because it's almost like it was patched together in Dr. Frankenstein's yes. uh, laboratory. And it was like ping-ponging around town, right? Isn't that how it got around, like kind of ping-ponging around, uh, pogoing yeah. around, I mean, pogoing like on a pogo right. stick. Yeah. A lot of these have... A lot of these uh, critters, critters seem to have a uh, that that ability. That you know, skill. it's it's weird to see stuff that's so strange and have people down there. You know, separate. You know, like the hunters, they don't know what's going on. They describe the same thing that no. the kids did. You know, so hey, listen, uh, Switchy, let's give Switch a round of applause, please. Both fake and real. Thank you, Switchy. Okay, top ten really weird cryptids. Thank you, Switch. A tale from the French, I guess. Uh, so why don't we do this on our uh, night of lists? Why don't we take a commercial break now? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, everyone. It's Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Macaroni. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. This is the show of lists, top 10 lists for the entire show. And now we're going to turn it over to Get Ready Girls. One one is here. I should say Coco's here and also um, Switchblade Steve is here. And the beautiful Ella the Psychic is here. Our favorite redhead west of the Mississippi. Ella. I'll just talk to you. She's on her bed. Look at, can you believe this? We have to be a TV show. It's a, it's an awesome look, isn't right. it? Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's, who needs a backdrop when you're sitting on your bed? Uh, <laughs> look at those pillows. Sorry. Amazing. We're sorry, folks, that we're a radio show. But anyway, listen. So um, <laughs> why don't we do this? We're going to do this. We're going to do, uh, you know, JJ felt left out that he didn't have his top 10. 
So we're going to go to it now very quickly. Top 10. Now, what is the top 10 reasons you love Downtown Abbey? It's Downtown Abbey, by the way. The 10, that's the, that's 10 the one reason I hate why. it. I like go ahead. the uh, the British drama series 10. Downtown Abbey that Number was uh, shown on PBS and ITV overseas. Forever, ever and ever. Go ahead. Ran Number 10. Six seasons, I believe. And in my hot little hands, by the way, I was uh, during some of the breaks, I was thumbing through. Uh, behind the scenes at Downton Abbey. Yes. Great book. <laughs> uh, the Chronicles of Downton Abbey. Yes. Wow. He's uh, like it's like he's on PBS. The World of Downton Abbey. Look at this. So one more. How much money do I have to give you yeah, to, to make you stop talking yeah, about really. Donnie Abbey? And the and the complete. <laughs> this is like a PBS ad Abbey. right now. Please. A hundred bucks and you get a Abbey goes Hawaiian. You get a tote bag. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Quickly, the ten the ten reasons why I like Downton Abbey. First off, Downton Abbey is a good historical. Based drama. I mean, the characters are fictional, but uh, a lot of the backdrops of the story is uh, based on real historical things. And it starts off uh, the day after the uh, the Titanic sinking, and it ends up in the how can the you 1930s go? Someplace. How can you go wrong? Number nine, no, please. So good history. Go. Num- number two, love stories. Number, or number nine, love stories. Love There's stories. Fantastic relationships going on here. Math- Matthew and Mary yes. and uh, <laughs> Anna and Mr. Bates, and uh, you know, even love stories of the down. The downstairs, you know, you have the upstairs aristocracy, the downstairs. Was Mr. Uh, Bates, Master Bates? I was just going to say, yeah, name. his name isn't Master. <laughs> Mr. John Bates, great Please. love stories. Who was it? Come on. These love stories make you cry. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, um, we're that's crying it. now, believe me. Number, number, number eight, eight. Right. number eight of the top ten reasons why I like Downton Abbey oh. is the uh, the music. The great music. soundtrack. Yeah, it's really. very striking soundtrack. Very right, yes. striking. Yes. Because uh, everyone knows from the time of the music from the Titanic sinking. Mm-hmm. To the 1930s was an absolute rip in the musical world. Oh, right. that, that's true, and the backdrop of all that was uh, the, not only the sinking of the Titanic, but we had the uh, the, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic. Yes. We had all the uh, good stuff. Yes. World War One, World War One, one trench little warfare, skirmish there, yeah. the, uh, sure. the Irish telephone. War of Independence. Yep, Irish War. Marconi's uh, little invention. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. All kinds of stuff. All right. Interesting. Go ahead. Where Next are we? One. Number six. Number seven. Uh, let's say six. Oh, uh, number seven. Seven. Right? Yes. Yeah. Fashions. Now, you know, Mac, that I love movies and stories about women's fashions. Wow. Or couture. <laughs> couture. Ella, you're into couture? You're into women's fashions? Sure. Just looking not? at Ella's face as she listens to this <laughs> horror is the, the only guys, thing that comes to it. The guy's the talking costumes. like this. What the audience can't see is that she's taking the pillow and she's putting it over herself <laughs> right. and she's smacking the pillow. <laughs> the costumes <Why>? are fantastic. <laughs> I, I was afraid she was taking women, pills, but they were just the coming out. <laughs> just the everything. authenticity of the costuming no, is meticulous. Okay, go ahead. It's great. The spit was supposed to go one oh. minute. Go ahead, it, please. It, 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 I'm going to come to one one's offense here. It is true. Okay. When you, you watch some of the documentaries afterwards, yes. they went into incredible lengths of detail to get it right historically. Well, why not? From from the costumes to the is the settings and, and the That's right. and even you some of the set it better. Right. And, and that there are you know there, there there are things out of history that would be way out of place if not done properly. Right. right. And, and, and one one the uh, the way the uh, the advances like the telephone comes in and all that yep. stuff and the way they deal with it even a toaster was was kind of flummoxing them for a while. A, the a toaster, toaster was it yeah. was introduced downstairs with the Mrs. Patmore was saying what, what do I do with this how does this work. <laughs> Ella. And she's uh, fascinated by the toaster. And then Lady Rose is fascinated by the gramophone and Ella. introduces it to Lord Grantham. Ella, What's on the be- next one on the list? On, the, one on one. behalf of the show. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> Hold on. Ella, on behalf of the show, I, think- I apologize. Go ahead. Next one, please. One, one. N- Number six is the amazing camera work and the set pieces that are contained within the series. Who's I do? Uh, a lot this? of it was filmed in the, 
in Highclere Castle, which is a place that you can visit. And they had to be very careful inside the inside the castle, and it was a it was incredibly hmm. what they had to go through to really um, yeah. do the filming and be careful in that yes. place. Yes, yeah, it was fantastic. I can't uh, wait. A lot of the interior scenes were done in the castle, and, and others were done at Ealing Studios. But uh, uh, okay. great great job by the cinematographer and the and the uh, grips and camera crews. Wow! Wow! All union. You had to love it. Top ten reasons why Juan Juan likes Maybe. Downtown Abbey. Top 10 reasons why one one likes Downtown Abbey. Go. Okay, where are we? Number five? I haven't been no, track. No, please. I think it's like three it's, or four. It's, I think uh, it's two. I'm two, not sure. Two. There's, there's a lot of uh, subplots that aren't hard to follow. That's what, you know, some British dramas you go, you really have to Take play names. it back and re, you know, rewind it to see what the heck's going on. Yes. The subplots are, are, are easy to follow, and they but they they uh, are interrelated. Made for America Throughout the, uh, the entire series. Yeah, good. So and the different storylines. And, and one one, the uh, the upstairs people and downstairs people kind of get equal show. Funny. They know? respect they, each other. You're very, yes. you're very correct. It's, it's, it's just a cheap ripoff list. of upstairs, downstairs. That's all. They both got equal they show. They just get along. This costs more money. Please. <laughs> there was a lot of time spent downstairs as much as there was upstairs. It's, right. Uh, Which I believe uh, is the same thing that happened in the storyline of upstairs, downstairs, the 1970s. Wow. Sure. Okay. Yeah, but they but only had kind of... $20 for special effects. Meow. Yeah, okay. really. All right. Really. Um, okay, so we're at the end of the list. What is the number one reason? <laughs> one, one, we're why? at the number one already? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes, we sure My are. God, I thought we were at it an hour ago. <laughs> the number I one reason I love Downton Abbey <laughs> okay. is that <laughs> almost, almost at every episode, uh -oh. I had a tear in my eye, either because oh. of how the, ep how the episode ended, how the season may have ended. Uh, how it was previewed just to uh, for the upcoming season, and especially the Christmas special. There was always a Christmas Excellent. special yes. at the end wow. of the season, and boy, oh boy, you better have your big box of tissues ready because uh, you needed it. <laughs> now, I've got I've got one more. Go Forgive ahead. me, please, okay, lady and gentlemen. Lay it on uh, me. Go ahead. Julian Fellows, who wrote this masterpiece. Yes, yes. Did, You know how many characters? About thirty characters. He's juggling through this whole thing. Oh, he was okay. a, he was an actor on Monarch of the Glen for a while. I mean, he was that's the kind of thing he did. But he that's he good. produces. He writes this incredible show. And oh. also in an interview, he he gives credit to the Americans because it was America, he said, that first introduced storytelling where you would have several different subplots going on at the same time. Yeah, several right, threads huh? going in, on. In the right. old day, old, old storytelling days, you went from A to B and you didn't have all Linear. those other side things. Linear. But uh, so he, he gave credit to the to American literature for establishing hey, one, one. that. And that's what he used what was, to the utmost to, one, to one. tell the story of Downton Abbey. Obviously then he never read Dickens. Dickens. Hey, listen, one one. I thought what was the last what was the last reason? TV, what was the last reason you were gonna give? Switch's point was uh, exactly dead on it. That, that's pointed out in one of the books in the The World of Downton Abbey. What was the <laughs> wow. by Julian We got five minutes. What what's it, your favorite book, one one? Uh, we can't we yeah, we gotta do my uh, Okay. Sorry. Actually, I like the complete scripts, oh. but I only have season okay. one. Oh, why? Sometimes we, uh, Mrs. and I do role play. Oh. Oh. We, we might do dress up, too, which is kind Upstairs, of downstairs. I can see it now. <laughs> well, next Exeter Festival, we're going to do a Downton Abbey segment. Okay, you are. Right? With a good. UFO yeah, kind we'll of. We'll be out of town. So we'll, we'll work in a cryptid deal, you know. Okay. So, one, one, do you like Victoria, too? Oh, I love Victoria. Uh, I think one of these days I'm going to do the, my top 10 uh, British dramas. Mm. 
And Victoria's and right Victoria up there. Excellent. So, yeah, talk about historical accuracy. It's just amazing. Right. Just to get this in. The, just to get it in. Uh, I, I feel like it's time that I need to remind everyone you're listening to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. <laughs> just, uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Why don't we, uh, so, uh, thank you for the opportunity for me to share my opinions. Talk about, about uh, throwing stuff in. What do we do? When we do the top, you, when we do the top ten NASA conspiracies, just so I can uh, put it in the promo for the show, uh, because this is the show of a list tonight. Okay, so we've we've uh, got the top ten NASA conspiracies. Now, here's what's weird about NASA: they've done all these really fabulous things when you think about it. Okay, they've done some great engineering over the years, but because they're a government agency, <laughs> they kind of like plod along. You know what I mean? They could have been much more streamlined. They could have had much more. I think they could have had more success if they weren't like political and stuff like that. But anyway, the conspiracy people really get on NASA all the time, okay? They're, uh, oh, for some reason, Coco has a, an alien with him. Okay. He's hugging me. Oh, is he really? After all that, Darlington Abbey, wow. I figured I could release my relationship here with the uh, Really, the yeah? <laughs> okay, all right. It looks like you're kind of hugging back, but that's well, another We've got show. kind of a tumor, I know. Coco. Please. So, uh, Ella, just to get it in, why don't we uh, go to the top 10 NASA conspiracies, please. Number 10. Number right. 10, did NASA fake the moon landings? Now, that's the biggest conspiracy out there, okay? And the, and the reason that people jump on this is that they say that um, there's no stars in the background. When they're on the moon, when the astronauts are on the moon, you cannot see stars in the background. And they say the reason is is that because the moon surface is so reflective, it washes out the stars. And they proved that. They proved it because they... I think landed, you know, someone landed a lander on the moon and had a camera on it. And you can't, no matter what, when you're on the moon, you cannot see the stars around you, which is odd because there's no atmosphere. Coco, am I wrong here? Right. Isn't that odd? But anyway. On both aspects, you are correct. Okay. Uh, next, please. Ellen, top 10 NASA Coco, what about the Van Allen belts? You know? Aren't you going to explain those away? I wear them all the time, you know? I like them on the <laughs> jeans. Uh, next, please. I'm more of a Van Allen suspenders kind of man myself, <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, number Dan nine. My favorite number Dan. nine, NASA conspiracies. Number nine, is NASA lying about the face on Mars? Okay, the face on Mars back in the 70s, uh, they finally put a an orbiter around Mars, and they had a camera on it, and they took it, and it was primitive, kind of, but they took a picture of this mountain kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and just the way it, you look down, it looked like an ancient face. It almost looked Egyptian in a way, kind of sphinx-like in a way, kind of looking up at you, and in large, a substantial uh, you know, formation, whatever it was. So people jumped right on it, and I think NASA made a mistake at the beginning because they, you know, not didn't deny it, but they didn't really come out and say this is what basically they said it is. It's just shadows hitting the peaks at a certain time of the Martian day, and you know, so on. But still, to this, and, and Mars now has been photographed many, many times over. Uh, but people still say that, um, you know, this this huge, huge face on Mars would be indication of an alien civilization that lived there, you know, eons ago. But um, I don't know. People still. Insist that the face on Mars is true. Uh, please, next conspiracy, please. Ella, top 10 NASA conspiracies. Number eight, the space shuttle Challenger blew up on January 28th, 1986. Did NASA cover up how the astronauts on board died? Ever hear this one, Coco? That there's a secret Absolutely. tape. And to some extent, they did. Yeah, there's a secret tape saying, you know, they said that they they, they died, the, the uh, crew died when the Challenger blew up, but they have a tape of them... Um, in the last moments of their life, and they weren't killed instantly, and they lied to the families about it was that. Not a, it was not a painless or instantaneous yeah. death. Yep. So once again, NASA, politic, you know, uh, you know, a lot of politics involved, and not being straight with people. Uh, next, uh, NASA conspiracy, please. Oh. 
Number seven, on February 1st, 2003, the Space Shuttle Columbia blew up on reentry. Did NASA cover up the real cause of the disaster? Okay, now this is a very strange one because on board that shuttle flight was an, the first Israeli shuttle astronaut, and his and he took part in the bombing of the Iraq nuclear reactor in the early 80s. Supposedly Saddam Hussein, still mad over that, um, created a death ray, shot it up into orbit and the last orbit of the Columbia around Earth, disabled it, and that's why it broke up and blew up on reentry. Um, the official word was was that on takeoff, a piece of foam hit the front of the shuttle, and they didn't notice it until uh, it was coming in. For whatever reason, uh, people don't want to believe, like a lot of things these days, they don't want to believe, like the official, um, you know, what they think the, the official proof was, but that's how conspiracies go. Uh, face on Mars there. Uh, all right, switchy. Uh, please, um, Ella, next one. NASA conspiracies. Number six, does NASA have a secret space program? Oh, I'd like, Coco, we can do this in like 10 seconds. No, they don't. I think Coco will disagree with me. <laughs> yes, they do. Okay. Next one, please. They we'll do, do? That's a whole show. That's a whole show. <laughs> yep. uh, next, uh, NASA conspiracies, please. <laughs> Okay, number five, what is known as Hubble Mystery Number One? Yeah, the Hubble telescope, you don't hear about it much anymore, but when it was up there, you would hear that was in the news a lot. You know, it would take these fantastic pictures of deep, deep space that, um, you know, people would just, you know, go crazy. And it really got a lot of people turned on to what was going out there because some of the pictures were just crazy, awe-inspiring. Anyway, so what, what people wanted the Hubble to do, the people who ran Hubble, was to turn it to the moon to—, to see if they could find and, and close in on the Apollo landing sites to prove that man landed on the moon, humans landed on the moon. And NASA wouldn't do it, but they said, we can't do it because, once again, the, there's such a highly reflective nature of the moon that we can't, you know, focus in on it. And then, like, five years later, they say, oh, we can. We we, we turned the Hubble to the moon, and we found the landing sites. And so, once again, the the conspiracy people are saying, well, why, why wouldn't you just come out and say that? And also, that was weird. And now I know the next one, too, was Hubble mystery number two. Now, this, to me, is very strange. Because once again, the Hubble was in the news a lot way back when. When they when they launched it, you know, it was kind of controversial. They had to fix it and so on. The Like the day before they want to launch it, the casing of the mirror, you have to imagine that the Hubble spacecraft was, was a huge mirror that they got into space. And, you know, when you have a huge mirror, you can see stuff very, very far away, collect the light, and you and you basically have a picture from back in time. So, and this thing caused millions. And they had to, they had to like, um, you know, design this mirror to be absolutely no kind of imperfections or anything. The day before, they find that the casing of this mirror breaks in transit. And putting this, you know, almost billion-dollar thing to, uh, in, in, you know, in dire straits, that night, the Defense Department comes up with a casing for the mirror, gives it to NASA, and they are able to launch uh, the Hubble. And people say, what is, what's the Defense Department doing with the casing of this, what is supposed to be this one-of-a-kind satellite? And they determined, they concluded that the Hubble is basically just a spy satellite that they turn the cameras out with. How's that? Cece, I'm looking to you for approval, but the alien is giving me the... Uh, the dead eye. Now, there's obviously a shared technology that was there. I also think that uh, when you talk about Hubble, the repair job that was done, yeah, to amazing. correct some problems that were done to the mirror um, and done in space, right. to get it to even get greater uh, pictures. It's a pretty interesting program. Yeah. Yep. But everyone thinks that you know NASA 
it doesn't involve itself in anything of uh, uh, nothing but the purest pursuit of science. And that's not true. It's a government agency and it has yes, yes. Uh, ties with a number of other agencies that use same technology for different missions. Okay. Um, next, uh, please, NASA conspiracy. Please, Ella. Number three, does NASA allow astronauts to have sex in space? And if so, what positions? <laughs> it's the uh, floating position, right? Um, we don't have that on Earth. I think and the answer is? Well, I don't know. If you have a hot tub, you could probably pull something off like that. I think the, you know, the re-entry positions are pretty interesting. Oh. Hey, hey, the re-entry position. The re-entry <laughs> wow. We... Did you say rear entry or re no, re re entry? Re entry, please. If you want that kind of stuff, you got to go to the Soviet oh, side wow. of uh, the operation. That, you know, those Soviet uh, kids, that's how they rolled. Oh, oh that's not it's inappropriate. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. okay, Vladimir, we're on it. Yeah, don't take it. I didn't write it. Oh. I just said it. Okay, that's all right. That's the staff's fault. We'll get on their case. Please, uh, NASA conspiracies. Uh, Ella, please. Down to number you want number two? Yes, please. No more than Did you. Did NASA stop using a launch pad at Cape Canaveral because it's haunted? Hmm. I think it's called Launch Pad 31 is where the uh, Apollo 1 astronauts actually died. The guys who were supposed to go to the moon died on a um, on a launch pad during a test that had pure oxygen inside their cabin. Gus Grissom shot them in white, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. And and a spot caught. Uh, pure oxygen is the most flammable thing like known to man, and they were dead. And um, people who – it was on the tour – there and uh, people went that said that you can hear, you know, people, you know, who are uh, you're burning to death. Let's say so. Uh, you cannot. One thing that's for sure, you cannot. It's not part of the tour down there anymore. Mm. Yeah, you know, who knows why? Uh, next, uh, the last NASA conspiracy, please, Ella. And the number one NASA conspiracy: Did the Nazis help NASA land on the moon? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. This this the is a conspiracy. Everywhere, it seems. A conspiracy that is true. What happened is at the end of World War II, there was lots of German scientists who worked for you know Nazis, and uh, but they were um, they knew what they were doing as far as uh, ballistic missiles. They're the first ones who actually like you know put up the V two. The V V two was really a ballistic missile, and they knew what they were doing when it came to that. So at the end of the war, a lot of them came over to the United States. Some went to Russia. A lot of them came to, over to the United States, and they were basically the foundation of NASA. Uh, Werner von Braun. Um, what we hear about Operation Paperclip is all true. It's all true. Paperclip, right? basically yeah. what happened was if you were a Nazi scientist and you were going to come to America, what they used to do is put a paperclip on your, uh, your your dossier or whatever, your passport or whatever. And that gave – that was like the uh, silent nod to the person who's going to let you in that even though you were a Nazi, you could get in. And, and, and they – Werner von Braun, who was a head Nazi scientist, designed the Saturn II rocket, Saturn V rocket that brought them to the moon and a lot of other things. Uh, German scientists were designed for the Apollo program. So that's one conspiracy that is true. The Nazis did help NASA get us to the moon. Thank you, Ella. Once again, applause, please, but this time for Ella. Thank you, ma'am. Beautiful Ella. It was fun. Yeah. On, on your bed. Thank you very much. It really classed the whole thing <laughs> up. We have to go. We have to do the uh, plugs real quick here, JJ. Ready? Right. Homes for our Let's troops. Go. Holmes Rod Troops, uh, please Google them. They are a military organization, I mean military charity organization, build homes for uh, wounded veterans from the Iraqi and um, Afghan war, uh, and they adapt them to uh, whatever um, wounds they brought home with them, and then they give them the keys to the house. No mortgage, nothing. They deserve it. Holmes Rod Troops, Google them, please. Uh, also, uh, the People's Mosquito Project, a good friend, Ross Schaub and his mad Englishman friends are putting back together a... 
airplane from World War II, the Mosquito Fighter, uh, made of plywood because they're running out of steel, put two Rolls-Royce engines on it, one of the fastest airplanes at one time, the fastest airplane in World War II. They're putting it back together. J.J. has volunteered to take the first flight yes, as a civilian. I volunteer uh, without, no parachute, no parachute. And, uh, I'm glad I quit smoking. There you go. We don't know really. Can they, oh, that's right, because it's a wooden airplane. One one comes at the end of the show. A little material. Thank you very much. And I think that's it, really. We're a podcast. We're everywhere. Um, you know, just Google us. You'll find us. And, Google us. Um, you'll have 17 hits on where we're yeah, featured on uh, the podcast of your choice. Basically, anywhere that podcasts are available, we're there in some way, right. shape, or form. Thank you for everyone listening to us. Especially Podbean. Downloading us and uh, Eleanor showing us their magic button. And thank get you. a button, too. Ella, thank you for joining us and really yeah. beautifying the show. And uh, we love you, Ben. Okay, and a class of class of the show. Look at yeah, it. Yeah. And wouldn't you say that this was one hell of a fun show tonight? Uh, it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yes, thank you, Switchy. We're going to do more of these. Thanks to you, Something Switchy. for everybody. It's the That's Beatles right. with Yoko. Notice that? We got to go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ella, for joining us. Thank you, uh, Switch. Thank you very much, Switchy. Thank you, Coco. Thank you, Coco. My pleasure. Was steering us in the right direction. Oh, pleasure, you have a Jolly Roger on your head. Uh, Ella, once again, Ella's, thank you. Uh, saluting with both hands. With both hands? Can we see that again? Oh, we're the Beatles, oh, then Ella must be a ladybug. Whoa, no. <laughs> mm. Thank you, and thank you, Juan. Yeah, in a good way. For join- thank you, Juan, Juan for yeah, helping me steer the ship. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're also on Seacoast Oldies. Download their mobile app for podcasts and look for us. And we're on the local radio for everyone up here in the uh, Northeast. Out of Massachusetts and southern part of New Hampshire. So and uh, listen to Seacoast Oldies if you love oldies. It's yeah. a great station. Oh, I love listening to them. You know, it's just for some reason I'm in their market. Um, so anyway, thank you to uh, everyone in the gang, and thank you for everyone listening to us. And this is Mac for the entire posse, uh, saying to you, hear us next time. Be safe, be happy, and bye bye.